0: on the kickoff, but the play is not reviewable.
1: What up though This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where six random guys from around the British Isles get together to talk about anything and everything. Detroit Lions It is basically one big group therapy session to help us deal with this all. <laughs> My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I am joined as ever by Ryan McCluskey. This is a Wednesday, which means you have joined the Roar of the Lions College football podcast. Ryan, how are we doing today?
0: I'm good. Uh, Bradford got a rare win last night, so things are looking up. But the The promotion train is back in the It's left the station.
1: <laughs> as they say on Twitter, rare W indeed. Um we we got a draw. We were first fee second in the league yesterday. We got a man sent off when we were 2-0 up, and then it went to all. It was ridiculous. It was a legal challenge as well, and you know me. I hate English referees as much as I hate NFL referees. I just hate referees across the board. They're not really good at what they do, but hey-ho. So, yes, um, you are with the College Football Podcast, and we have a stacked show for you today. We're going to be talking a little bit about the United States Football League. We are going to be looking at the East-West Shrine Bowl, I'm going to do a roundup of the senior bowl and then we're going to take an initial preview of the pro day circuit because the dates of those are starting to drop and there are a lot of players who we have our eye on and then when all that is said and done we'll talk a little bit of draft questions as well that we've had on our socials of course if you're in the comments with us on Twitch or on YouTube drop your questions drop your comments in there and we will read them out as we go I am in both today so if you're on Twitch comment away You'll be on the show, but uh, yeah, we've got a lot to go through. So I am going to pass off to Ryan to start off the show today. Ryan has been taking a look at the uh, reincarnation of the United States Football League, which I believe is coming back in April of this uh, year after a very long hiatus. Ryan, do you want to explain a little bit about USFL to those who have maybe not been around the last time it was here or to those of us on this side of the Atlantic who probably have no idea what it is?
0: Yep, so the uh, the USFL, is uh, it was very old. Like I say, it's been around the 80s, 90s. It had a hiatus because, unfortunately, it ran out of money. But it's been refunded by a new consortium of people that have brought it back. And uh, they're bringing it back with a bang. As you mentioned, it's scheduled to start, which could be flexible, the 16th of April this year. There's eight teams that have been announced. The head coaches were announced last week. And why it's relevant to the uh, college podcast is uh, they're having a draft. So I've got this data from uh, American Football International. Find them on Twitter, Alex Makov. That's M-A-C-H-L-O-W. So go give them a follow if you want to find out more. Uh, And how it's going to work is there's going to be a snake draft between the eight teams, possible 3,000 plus players that could be eligible. That's going to take place across two days. That's the February 22nd to the February 23rd. This is a spring league, so it will only last for a few weeks. There won't actually be that many games played. It's a short format. And uh, they've started out with it. It's going to be a phase scheme. So phase one will be where the starting quarterbacks are drafted for these sides. They'll have a phase two where offensive skill players and the backup and other remaining quarterbacks will be chosen. Round phase three is the offensive linemen. Uh, Phase four, you move to defense. You have your defensive linemen and your linebackers. Uh, Phase five will be defensive backs, including safeties. And then there's a phase six where that is all the remaining players and you choose your special teamers. So phases two to six will have 10 rounds each. So they will snake between one team that picks first, will then pick last in the next round. So then you'll have your full rosters of players. Now, they've announced some sort of rough figures. So they've announced that each full-time player is scheduled to make roughly $45,000 for the entire season. They'll get $600 a week for pre-season, which should start, I believe, at the end of March. A practice squad player is scheduled to make roughly $15,000 for the season. And any win incentives are rumoured to be about $800 a game. So that's on top of that bonus. So this is to keep uh, keep in line with the Canadian Football League. So for a short-term spring season, there's some good money to be made there, possibly. And how the league is going to operate this year is they are expanding and they are going to look into the transfer portal in college. So they're going to offer paid jobs to students who want to play in the spring league. It shouldn't affect their education at all. If you graduate from high school if in 2020 or earlier, you are eligible to put your name for the draft. So you can be a college player. And if your college will allow you to play while studying, you can make a full time living. You can make some good money playing. So I've seen some rumored lists, but it's not yet finalized, but we will announce players soon. The players to look out for, the, uh, Alex has highlighted, uh, D- DJ Ungalele. He could be someone that could be interested, that wants some extra film, could earn some money if Clemson are going to let him play. Johnny Manziel. You've got the likes of uh, Des Bird, former NFL wide receivers. So there's a long list of rumoured players. When I've looked at this, I have thought that teams like this like to have a marquee signing. Now, I'm putting this out there like, don't anyone hold me to this, but Des Bryant. I think he could be someone that maybe want to play professional football again. And to uh, Gandhi Golden that uh, dropped out of the NFL this year, uh, Jordan Ta'amu, who Lions fans know was on their practice squad. He was in uh, the XFL St. Louis expecting to win the quarterbacks drafted. But then I've also thought about Tate Martel. like he may have retired from professional football in college, but this could be, he could be a marquee sign in there. So I'm just spitballing some names out there that, the draft will be concluded at the end of February. So once that happens, I'm going to look at the rosters. I'm going to look if anyone has decided to make the leap and leave college. Some of these guys may very well decide to they want to leave education, go to a paid pro league, but that's all up in the air right now. But the door has been opened for them if their colleges are let them while they're studying because they should be finished before their actual college football season starts but there's good money to be made out there and there's a name to be made if anyone wants to do it. So I'm going to look over the next few weeks when they uh, hopefully the draft list actually get listed. These are just, uh, don't hold anyone to this right now, but there's a lot of guys out there that should be looking for. But it's got potential because the XFL has taken the hiatus. They're not rumoured to be back until next year at the earliest The rock uh, taking over that and keeping the branding. So there's going to be a deep player pool. Like so Jamie Newman was picked up as an undrafted free agent this year by the, uh, I believe, the Eagles, but he didn't last on the roster and I didn't see him get picked up again. He's someone that could very much look to be made their name in this league, and I think he'd be a good addition as a possible starting quarterback. So there's players out there that don't necessarily need the money, but they need that step back to get to the NFL, and this is going to look to be one of those. A lot of leagues fizzle out. Like You had the AAF that really struggled. Like, it only managed to get through, like, 50% before COVID hit. The XFL made a loss under the McMahon, so he decided to sell that off. So, there's a space in the market for another football league to be professional outside the NFL and Canadian football, and the USL might just be that. So, like I say, go over to Twitter, follow Alex, follow AFI. You'll find lots more data there. You'll find a lot, hopefully, the rosters as well. And uh, it's something I'm going to keep an eye on as well to see if any of the, the star quarterbacks decide to uh, jump into the spring league.
1: And I mean, how, how how good is this for us? Because, you know, as you say, there is an exodus of college players over there and a lot going play. I mean, that's more, that's more content for us during the off season if some of these college guys go there. And obviously they're going to come back and play the schedules in the fall. So it's going to be good to keep an eye on what is going over there. But it's interesting, like you say, these leagues, they come, they go. Can they stay? You know, if this does something for these college guys, especially the ones who might not make it, you never know. You might make some stars, you know. The more the more professional football you get, you know, the more chance you've got of making it. But we'll we will see. But it's very intriguing and we look forward to uh, hearing your updates on that as we go along. Um just a shout out to the guys who are listening. Ash is obviously listening to us on Twitch. He goes, That might be good for Jordan Travis to develop. I'm guessing he's talking about the USFL there. But I mean, can anything really save him now at this point? <laughs> Joking, Ash, of course. Of course, you never know. You might be able to have a good one over there. But yeah, if, if you've got guys who want to play during the summer and earn a little bit of money, this could be really good there for them. Uh, in YouTube, Lime Rumble81 is in here with us. He's put hashtag roaring in Vegas. Definitely so. And also in regards to my refs comment earlier, he goes, the refs are too old. Refs need to be younger so they can actually see and hear and know what's going on. As far as the NFL goes, I completely agree here. But I think. Over here, it's different. A lot of them are younger, just don't know what they're doing either, do they? You know, I don't think you can really win. <laughs> English yeah. refereeing is, is is in the toilet. It's absolutely atrocious. I mean, it doesn't help with all the stupid rule changes either. Um, Ken Stoud is also in the chat. He goes, I wonder if we're going to see guys get so overpaid from sponsorship during college that they retire prior to going pro. I mean, but you see that, I guess you're not going to turn, turn down a guaranteed NFL career, but I guess if you're drafting towards UDFA territory etc you, you might decide not to
0: it depends like we've heard rumors of the deals like Quinn Ewers got like that that like nearly one million dollar deal when he went to Ohio State and then transferred away we heard that rumor that Cameron Ward to go to was it East Eastern Washington they were going to offer him a hundred thousand dollars to play for the year like it's not enough money to live off. It's not enough money that you can't not go pro or you can't just drop out of college. Like I say, it's, you need the education. You also need money to live off. Because like I said, even if these go to the USFL, $45,000 for a season sounds like great money. But in the grand scheme of things, that won't last very long. Like I say, it's a very short-term investment for a couple of weeks to stay fit because eight teams split two divisions you might only play six games, I'd like say. So even with the additional bonuses of maybe eight hundred dollars a game, if that if that does get confirmed, it's not enough money to me to be live off. So no, I don't think you should expect anyone. None of these NIL deals will stop anyone unless they get out of hand, which is a very real possibility when you're paying these kids large amounts of money.
1: I mean, I guess. <sighs> The only way I could maybe see it impacting this way is if, again, you go into maybe sort of the later day, you know, the day three guys, the undrafted free agent guys, if they've got a good sponsorship in college with them and they're earning some decent money and they're getting a degree in, say, engineering or, you know, if they're going to go into lawyering or anything like that, if they're going to into a profession where they can have a very well-paid, very long career outside of football, I guess maybe then you could say, oh, well, I'll fund that. And then go on with it. But I think outside of that, you know, anyone above a day three type area is is not really even going to consider it. But it's an interesting question. And we'll, you know, we'll see in years to come what it's going to do there. But I mean, for me, I like these deals for now. They sort of even the playing field out a little bit between some of these Berhamoth colleges that just stockpile talent all the time. But, you know potential to be abused there as everything is so we'll see what goes on in regards to that so yeah that's that's everything about the usfl as ryan said you know we sent you to the places if you want to find out a little bit more about it you know go for it um or if not, just listen to us as we'll uh, we'll let you know what's going on with it as we go along. So moving it on, uh, we're going to get to uh, the bowl games from last week. Obviously, last week was senior bowl week amongst many things, but that's not the only bowl game that takes place here. There's, there's quite a lot in fairness. We detailed the collegiate all-pro game last week. Um, and then the biggest one probably outside of that, maybe, is the East-West Shrine Bowl. Now, you'll find a lot of maybe the day two guys here, day three guys looking to boost their draft stock out of the week. It's like the senior ball, It's a week's worth of practices. They do a few days, you know, positional drills, all that sort and the other, and it ends up with a game on the end. So we're just going to summarize what went on in that game, look through some of the positional groups, and then maybe have a look at who really stood out during this week. So like with the senior bowl, there's a national and American team. With the East-West Shrine Bowl, you have an East and a West team obviously made out of players in the corresponding geographical locations. Uh, it's a very close game, actually. The West won this 25 points to 24 Uh, The West had a really big lead in this one, but the East nearly brought it back, but an onside kick recovery at the end foiled them from uh, completing the unlikeliest of comebacks. I think they were down 19 points at one stage. It was mad. So just we're going to have a look through the the East's squad, as it were. We're going to look through their quarterbacks because for their quarterbacks, this was a very, very differing night. So the starting quarterback for the night for the East team, we've mentioned him a few times in recent weeks. Dustin Crumb, the quarterback from Kent State. And it's fair to say he had an absolutely rotten game. Um, he threw six of 10 on his passes for just 37 yards. He rushed five times for 29 yards. He had three fumbles on the evening. One of those was negated by a penalty, but a fumble's a fumble. Another was a botch snap on his part, and then the other was just an outright fumble. He had a really bad game. They were down, I think, 19 to zip at half time. But as they say, when one door closes, another one opens. And he got benched at the half and in his stead came in quarterback EJ Perry who ended up being the offensive MVP of the night now he hails from Brown University they play in the Ivy League in the FCS he went 13 of 18 for 241 yards three touchdowns he rushed four times for 14 yards and he did have a fumble himself but it was just the one but EJ Perry is a very This is a name now because obviously quarterbacks is not too many of the elite ones this year. A lot of people are looking towards these mid to late round guys for possible good development projects here. And EJ Perry really fits this mold. So as I say, he plays for Brown University. He's a Boston College transfer. Um, two years ago. He couldn't beat out Phil Cherkovich, who was there, in fairness. He's a very good cool quarterback. There is no shame on that. So he's 6'2", 210 pounds. He's got a decent frame for the NFL. He's got an arm for the NFL. Now, just to get the bat out of the way, Brown finished 2-8 and eight this year. They had a pretty poor year in the grand scheme of things, and Perry managed to throw a pick in all but one of the games that he played. But, you know, these are the issues you have with these later round guys in the draft. They're not going to be everything perfect. But his season as a whole, he was 295 of 444. That's a 66.5% passer rating, which is really good. Completion rating, sorry. 3,033 yards, 23 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He also had 111 rushes for 402 yards, 7 touchdowns. So he's got dual threat about him. And he also actually had one reception for 64 yards and a touchdown. He did a little bit of everything. But the day before this game, he got an invite to the Combine in Indianapolis. So he's going to get to show off in front of all 32 teams and their scouts there, which is a big one for him. You know, the analysis on him, he's got NFL speed. He's got great leadership qualities on the field. And he's looking to be the first quarterback ever from Brown to be drafted and the first to ever throw a pass in the NFL. This is a very big rarity for them but I mean Justin Crum he had a really bad game but EJ Perry's suddenly become a very tantalizing prospect if someone's looking for development talent in the draft this year
0: yeah definitely like say he's got that great build like say he's got a good 6-2 frame in fact he's got a 64 yard reception which tells you he's probably got a bit of speed about him as well because I'm guessing that must have been a trick play of some sorts so he's got that versatility he's got good hands on him Good rushes as well. Like, say, if he's touching the ball over 100 times in carries, he's able to be strong at the end zone as well, seven-yard uh, touchdowns. So he's a good all-round threat. Dustin Crum, oh, so disappointing. He was really bad in the uh, championship game against NIU, I believe, as well. I watched that Kent State. They, they really fell flat at the end. I was really high on him a year ago. Like, he looked like when of was really good, possible drafted guys like Carson are uh, strong. But... He's, he's wavered this year. Turnovers, they've, they've been a bugbear this year, unfortunately. Like I say, coughing the ball up multiple times, packet awareness, not able to have the nouse about him to keep hold of the ball and tuck it when it goes down. So he did himself absolutely no favours in this game whatsoever. And uh, Brown, I know they've got uh, Princeton, Dartmouth, Harvard. Like Ivy League football is tough football, and not many of them get there. Like I say, I know the Bucks, there's a few guys that it's very hard to make it to the NFL when you play in the Ivy League. But he tells me he's a smart guy because you've got to be smart to go to an Ivy League school. So expect him to have a good IQ. He'll have good discipline. Like I say, expect him to be a model student and someone that could be a good student of the game, willing to learn. So if you're looking for a late round guy next year or even just someone to pick up at the end, like he's got that good possible upside to him, the floor is probably. Law, but that ceiling might be pretty high.
1: Absolutely. You know, It's again, it's just that's sort of what you're looking for this year with a dearth of quality QBs around. You may be looking towards development instead and hanging fire on your big picks until some of these guys come around again. So EJ Perry, here's a name who you should put On your late-round quarterback radar now, I know a lot of Lions fans, they like Ellaby, the quarterback from Western Michigan, and he will fit in that sort of area probably a bit later in the draft than Ellaby might go, but he is certainly a name to watch out for. Just quickly going back to the NIL things again, um, Ken says, the deals might not be big enough yet, but who knows what we see soon. Five million per season could be right around the corner. Um, I mean Jesus Christ, <laughs> that would be a lot for a guy for a year if they were able to go up that much. Um, I don't know if you'd be able to. Um, Lions Rumble 81 says the way they put their bodies on the line, you've got to make it worth it. Well, that's my thing. If they these are gonna be late round guys, gonna be on special teams, you know, where you get the most injuries there and you're gonna possibly get bad injuries out of it. If you can get Paid well at college, get a good degree out of it, and you know, go into a stable job where you're not going to hurt yourself as such. You might very well consider doing something along those lines. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, Ash on Twitch has also he's made a good point. He says states do restrict how big these NLI's NILs can get at the minute, but you know who knows what happens with those. You know, I guess anything. You, I guess you could come up with a thing where some states are more lax. They'll pay more money out. You'll higher more prospects there. So I would expect there to be some sort of fairness and balance there. It could very soon get lopsided. It is a very uh, contentious issue for one. So um yeah we'll just have to see what happens with these, especially next year when it comes to all this sort of stuff. The amounts might go up. We'll have a we'll have a look around with those. Anyhow, can Continuing on with now for the East-West Shrine Ball. So we've gone through the quarterbacks on the East team. Running backs, they didn't really run the ball. Leddy Brown from West Virginia was the lead guy. He had four carries for 16 yards and one reception for three. Pierre Strong Jr., the running back from South Dakota State. Now, he didn't really get any rushing attempts, but on a screen pass, he got one reception. He went 65 yards for a touchdown. He did ever so well there, I guess. Have you seen a little bit of him watching the FCS? with South Dakota State in the playoffs?
0: I've seen a few of him for the last few years. Like he, he is a really good running back. He's not the biggest, but he's strong. He's got broad shoulders. He's got thick calves, good low center of gravity. He's been a proper workhorse for the Jackrabbits for two, three years now, an integral part of their offense. I think he's someone that is a real dark horse in the draft next year. Like I expect him to hopefully get a workout. I'd like to see him go at the Combine. If he gets an invite, but someone to certainly watch on a pro day, I think he's going to be maybe a day three selection. I think the ceiling's pretty high for him. He's a good, good all rounder, good receiving threat, good rusher, and he can pick up the block as well. So he's certainly one of the premier FCS backs coming out this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in the receiving game, so for the East team, the. Two noticeable names who stood out here so Josh Johnson the wide receiver from Tulsa now if you're wondering why you might have heard that name before we were asked earlier in the season by Ferg who's a regular list of ours to give him a list of some guys for certain positions on here and we had late round wide receivers and I picked this guy at the time he just had a Big day out against Ohio State where he went for 149 yards and a touchdown and playing for Tulsa. That's no mean feat because Ohio State are a hell of a lot better than them. In this game, he got four receptions for 98 yards. He also kicked return twice for 51 yards. That's not something he normally does, but he showed that he has the uh, special teams ability there to go with the receiving as well. And the other guy was Samore Torre from Nebraska. He had five receptions for 32 yards, collected himself a pair of touchdowns as well. He's, he's had a great year. But, I mean, Johnson, he, he's had a really good year too. He's had 83 receptions, uh, 1,114 yards and six touchdowns. You know, I suppose both these guys are going to get drafted and both potentially they've done a lot for their stock in this game. They've, they've both showed up admirably well.
0: Well, oh, I know a lot about Samari Torre. He transferred from the Montana Grizz to Nebraska, where he set the record for the most ever-receiving yards in a playoff game. I think two and a half years ago, Montana beat southeastern Louisiana, and he had like two, 300 yards on his own, Torre. He's got a massive six-foot free frame. He's really slender. Anyone that looks at his Montana Grizz numbers, he was an FCS menace and decided to step up the FBS. I had him, I believe, in a mock draft, Probably a good year ago, though. Like I say, one of the very first ones, uh, he's going to be an absolute stud. Like I say, he made the transition well on a on a terrible Nebraska side. With we've, we've credit to them, he has done well to stand out on that there. And Josh Johnson, I think it's good to see him returning kicks because if you're going to be a late rounder, the only way you're going to see the field at some point is putting yourself out there in special teams to earn those reps. So uh, It's good to see him uh, putting his name in the hat and it's scary out there, like I say. It's not easy at all to return kicks. Yeah, you got to be brave. So it's good. he's going to be a good way to get on the field and see attention for him.
1: Exactly, and you might have to do it soon because they're talking about changing the rules of special teams and kickoffs in the NFL at the minute, which could see the opportunities for some of these guys disappear, depending on what they decide to come up with in its place. Um, One Pride Forty has joined the chat on YouTube. Hello to you, sir. Good to see you every week as per. He's on about the draft. Keeping an eye on Hamilton, well, aren't we all? We should draft him second, absolutely. He's also looking at linebackers, cornerbacks, wide receiver, edge. Cornerbacks, that's an interesting one. We've got a question about Akuda later. We're going to do some draft chat at the end, so I'll come back to this. But cornerbacks, Akuda, they are in there. Um, it's going to be very interesting. There are one of a million ways that we could go in the draft this year. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with those. So, Um, that's the offensive guys done for the East in this game. In terms of the defensive side now, the standouts here for the East, their linebacker core – was really good for this game. They had themselves a pair of great linebackers in here who both showed up for this. The first one, he's a service guy. He's had an amazing season, and he dropped Brock Purdy like a bad habit in this game. We are, of course, talking about Diego Fago. He is the Mike linebacker from the Navy midshipman. This guy is like a fridge with legs, and he also dons the little neck brace a la... Leighton van der Esch in the league. He looks ever so cool when he's out there. His career at Navy has been something quite special. He's got 148 solo tackles, 134 assisted tackles, 35 and a half tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks, Two interceptions, one of which was a pick six, five passes defended, six fumb- forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, one which he returned for a touchdown. He has first and second all ACC honors team. He's a captain in the Navy side. Now, I know you might go, well, lots of guys are captains, but to be a captain on a military services team, you really have to show outstanding leadership to you know, elevate yourself to one of those positions. And, you know, he is a leader on that defense. And he really showed in this game that he was as well. And he's also, he's been a defensive player in the game, in a bowl game back when Navy were in the Liberty Bowl in 2019. This guy has done just about everything, but he had a hell of a game here. And that drop of Brock Purdy, you could feel that hit from over the Atlantic here, couldn't you? He just He absolutely cleaned him out.
0: He is, yeah. He is an absolute tackle machine. I've seen this guy for a few years now. He has been a stalwart. He has been a leader on the midshipmen for a number of years now. He looks menacing. Say, where's the neck roll? Let's say he has the braces on. Like say he looks like a real tough SOB. But let's say he's got the uh, – his ability to drop back in coverage as well is something that can't be overlooked. He's able to pick up tight ends and running backs that come out the backfield. He's got that big frame. And I think like see, say you get a lot of these uh, – Military service defenders that are really tough. They're disciplined. They don't uh, take bad angles. They don't do any of that. Like they, they're real stu- servants and studies of the game. They know exactly where they need to be and when. And they uh, they command and they're great column players. Like I say, they're able to diagnose things very quickly. And sums up Brock Purdy's terrible year. Like I say, he got he got smacked.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned there is coverage. T- he was on a he was on a coverage for a screen on the running back for this. He was right out by the sideline covering a running back. And then all of a sudden Brock Purdy decided he was going to roll out of the pocket to the right. And the second he saw it, it's like I say, it's like a fridge grew legs and ran at him at nearly 20 miles an hour and just cleaned him out. You know, that that transition from coverage to pass rush so quickly, it was really impressive to see. And, you know. I've got high hopes of this guy. He, he bowled out in this game. Like you say, he's had a really impressive career at Navy. He got the defensive MVP of this game. It's odd that the losing team had the offensive and the defensive MVP, but it is easy to see why. And the other linebacker I mentioned, um, this guy is actually from the FCS. Um, it's linebacker James Houston from Jacksonville State, obviously learning from the great, no, he's not, because that's the other one, that's Jackson State. I'm going to retract that straight away. But James Houston, I mean, I've not done his career stats here, but his 20, his his last season has been Again, something mental 52 solo tackles, 18 assisted tackles, 24 and a half tackles for loss. So he's got half the amount of tackles for loss as he has just tackles, which is something mad. And they combined for 143 yards of loss. He's got 16 and a half sacks on the season for 117 yards of loss, seven forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries for 110 yards. One of victories, a touchdown, an interception, and 10 quarterback hits. I mean, Christ, this guy has just absolutely dominated everything and everyone he's come up against in the FCS. He used to be a former Florida Gator. They couldn't find a role for him, but Jesus, Jacksonville State, they have. And again, he was another one. He was really good, especially in the run in this game. The amount of run stops he managed to get and tackles for loss was, was impressive.
0: Feels like a carbon copy of Forgo. Like, if you want two guys that are willing to hunt down a quarterback and they're able to come up in run support and be almost extra defensive linemen that are willing to hit like a truck and get super physical, you couldn't ask for a better pair of backers. But they, they will be able to come up. They hunt as a pack. I might say they sniff and diagnose players out quickly. And more importantly, when they get to the backfield, they, they stop players dead. They get hold of quarterbacks. They get hold of a running back. They bring them down there and then and they, they scoop up ridiculous tackles for losses. They are like torpedoes. When they see a hole or a gap formation come downhill north to south quickly, and they, they finish the play, and they, they make their presence known.
1: Exactly. And, you know, these are two guys, and you said that, you've really got to watch out for come draft season. If these start, guys start testing well and whatnot, you can see them shoot up draft boards and, you know, you can see why just by watching them on tape. Ash on Twitch mentions in regards to Fago, he mentions he's the guy with the best post-game interview this year. I do remember that. Um, I can't remember the exact intrinsics of it, but I can I remember which one he's on about. He also goes, he's the guy who conveyed the fake punt in the Army-Navy game, which he did, actually. I completely forgot about that, which fair play to him. Um, Depth Fan Man has joined us on YouTube. What up, Doe, to you? He goes... Sounds like Pleasant stays in Motown for another go while the Vikings go with a senior at DC. That is absolutely hilarious. I was really, really scared when Aubrey Pleasant was uh, done out for that job because not only does it take a coach from us, but it also disrupts, obviously, what is meant to be the succession plan for when Glenn does go. But the Vikings have really screwed this up, and it's funny to see, really, isn't it? But a relief for us if they do go that way.
0: I'm not getting my hopes up yet until I see them hire someone. I am not going to I've done this too many times. Get attached to guys like say, I'm reserved to losing him until until they hire someone. I will consider that it's It's realistic that he goes, but I don't want him to go at all.
1: No, I. This has brought up a big thing with us. I guess it's just who would you rather lose? Because we know we're going to lose, Glenn, but we might keep pleasant for three or four years yet. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God, how do you sort of balance this out? But I pray to God that they don't go for Aubrey. But maybe we'll have a bit more of a chat about him in a bit when we're done with all this. But, yeah, please, Vikings, stay away from him. You don't want a guy who's on a three, thirteen, and one team. Go and get someone else. I promise you, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. And then finishing off the East's team... Special teams need love as well. I've put their punter in there, Tommy Heatherly, He's from Florida International, probably the only mention I'll get regards the draft this year. He hit four punts for 201 yards, so he had a good, clean 50-yard average. Nice managed to drop one of them in the 20 as well. Um, so for the winning West team, they did uh, – Surprisingly better on their overall with their quarterbacks. So they they use three quarterbacks as opposed to the East just using two. Uh, started off Jack Cohn, Notre Dame. Obviously, we've mentioned Notre Dame enough this year in their quarterback issues. But he seems to have very admirably, admirably come back from a funny start. He went 10 of 13 for 91 yards and a touchdown. Didn't really do anything wrong in this game. Uh, Skyler Thompson then came in after he is the Kansas State quarterback. He had a good game, six of nine, 76 yards, a touchdown, although he did fumble once. But then came QB Brock Purdy from Iowa State, three of seven for just 17 yards, and he rushed five times for just seven yards. Two good ones, one bad one.
0: <laughs> uh, poor Brock Purdy. Like I remember a year ago, everyone was saying that Iowa State were going to make the playoff. Oh, these are going to be Big Twelve champions. They've got Brock Purdy. They've got a uh, Xavier or oh, that the receiver. he fails me. I can't remember his name. Something Hutchinson, I think it is. And they've got Brees Hall. Like this trifecta will lead them to the playoffs. Like say Matt Campbell or get it done, and he's had a really rough year. Like Brock Purdy, his his draft class has sunk like a stone. Like say I. He's just struggled. Turnovers, like I say, also the big arm seems to have disappeared. Like he's relied so heavily on the run game to open up the passing game, and uh, he's looked shaky in the pocket, eating loads of sacks, multiple turnovers. Had a torrid year. Scarlett Thompson, it's good to see him, because he's had a few injuries last few years. Kansas State have done without him, and they've struggled at times. He's someone I really like the look of, but He's got that checkered pass. Like I say, we've only seen him rarely this year. So it's good to see him get back on the field. And Jack Cohn, for all my complaints about Notre Dame and all my mourning about him this year, like they still managed to somehow get it done most weeks, even if he didn't deserve to. And even though they played three quarterbacks at time, and this guy's in like his sixth year, he still managed to beat off most of the defenders. So he's not the most mobile. He's not the best in the pocket. He's a bit stiff, but he's a solid pocket passer. Like I said, if you give him a good O-line to protect him, which Notre Dame haven't always been able to do this year rather they're reloading their class, but he's solid. Like I said, they all offer something very different. Skylar Thompson's a lot more dual threat than Cohen is. He's a lot better out of the pocket. He's a bit more dynamic in that sense. So he had a good trio, like a lot of stuff to keep a defence honest when you've got three different kind of styles like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, but I mean they're going to have to test like crazy at their pro days, I guess, to really create any buzz about them now. You feel like that's the that's the last state for them now, isn't it? They're really going to have to impress if you want to see them up draft boards. I mean, I think Skylar and Brock are in there. I don't know about Cohen. I guess it is if it's the sixth year, but they're all going to need to test incredibly well.
0: I can't see any of them in drafted at all. But like I say, if they're able to get picked up as maybe an undrafted free agent, they're going to have to test well because... Brock Purdy started really well in college, but he's been on a steady decline. Jack Cohn, even if he's only like 23 or 24, he feels like a journeyman because he's been like Pickett. He's been around a long time because he's had injuries. He's swapped teams a few times as well. So he needs to prove that he's got that stickability. And Scarlett Thompson just needs to just needs to prove he can stay healthy because at some point there was a Kansas State team a year or two ago that looked phenomenal. Like he was, he was putting three, 400 yards up a week, but then you'd he'd, he'd lose him for six games with a knock and all that momentum would go away. So he just needs to prove he can do it over a consistent long period. But I think he has the, maybe the most upside as a yeah. dual threat athlete.
1: Yeah, I think if, any, if you see any of the three names get called, I think it's Skylar out of the three of them. I would agree. Maybe as a late round flyer in there, but we'll see in regards to those. So moving on to the running back room, The West had a lot more success with their running backs. Ty Chandler, we've mentioned his name. He had a slow start at UNC this year, but ended up being one of the best running backs probably in college football. He had one of the most impressive weeks out of anybody at the senior bowl. He tested incredibly well. He looked so good and smooth when running the ball. And during the game, he went 11 carries for 69 yards. He had a couple of big important runs in there, which he made out of nothing. He had a reception for eight yards as well. He did have one fumble, but a small blot on a big copybook there for him. You know, he just had a great week, and he's done his stock when eventually he does declare no end of good, potentially the next great running back out of UNC. And then the other one, Florida State's running back to Sean Corbin. Now, we're mentioning Florida State, and we're not saying JJ or we're not taking the mick out of Jordan Travis. I think this must be the first time we've mentioned them, and it's not been one of them two ever. So this is a big thing for us. He got eight rushes for 50 yards and a touchdown. He also got a reception for five yards. These two look very impressive on the day. They kept the chains moving. They kept this offense going, especially in that first half. And uh, they both look really impressive. And Ty Chandler, he's he's just looked great. After a really slow start for UNC, he he looks the real deal now, doesn't he?
0: He does, yeah. it was a common thing where UNC didn't look good when he didn't play well. Or if he wasn't there, they really struggled. Sam Howell really needed a compliment. And Chandler at times was able to top that spark and get them uh, over the line. He's really physical. Like I say, he looks and plays bigger than that five, 11 6' foot frame. He likes to go be contact. He's got a, a reasonable turn of speed when he hits open field. He's able to finish off players. But he's someone that you could consider a workhorse back. He didn't have to share carries with too many people. He was able to put a team on his back at times and looked pretty dependable. I'd like to see him with another another year, another year under his belt. I think he could be one of the premier backs coming out in the next class, like I say. But he he looked good this year. Uh, and he was he was one of the main factors that UNC managed to get so many wins. Him and Howell really carried that entire team for the best part.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. And say him and Corbin, they formed a good, a good running back duo on the day for the West Side, a big part of why they won. And uh, we'll see what more comes of Corbin as well. I'm sure Ash will be able to tell us more about him, although he hasn't previously. So I don't know. Maybe he's just come out of nowhere. In the receiving game, um, top receiver for the day was Tay Martin from Oklahoma State. He had four receptions for 47 yards. However, the real winner this week in terms of receiving options. This is the converted tight end, formerly wide receiver Jelani Woods from Virginia. He had 30 yards and a touchdown in this game. He also recovered the onside kick that the East were trying to use to get back in this game late on. He made a big play on special teams to win this game for his side. But I mean, this guy is physically freakish. He's 6'7". 260 pounds he looks like an offensive lineman but this guy's had quite the career he spent four years at Oklahoma State as a blocking wide receiver and then he changed this year went to Virginia and has spent a year as a pass catching tight end you usually do that the other way around I must say but he is a matchup nightmare and as we know Dan Campbell loves his matchup nightmares but in a tight end Market where outside of Trey McBride, there's no big second guy behind him. He has tested so well. He runs routes smoothly as a receiver does. That must come back from his receiving days. But his frame, he blocks like a champion as well. I mean, probably maybe the biggest winner of all this week from the uh, East-West Shrine Bowl.
0: Yeah, I think he was really wasted at Oklahoma State. I don't think they utilized him at all properly how they should have done. Should have brought him on the line, like you say, not had him blocking out there, made him uh, expanded his route tree, have him as a pass-catching tight end. Because, as you mentioned, physically imposing, there aren't many tight ends even eligible that are anywhere near his size. He's got big, broad shoulders. He's got a good catch radius. And uh, he's able to catch and block. Like Not many tight ends in his class can do that. They can either do one or the other but he's had good experience and a nice blend of both. And he could be a really complimentary weapon, especially in the red zone. Think of someone like Kyle Rudolph, who's nearly six foot seven. He's not the best in the open field, but when he comes down and the field gets narrower, that's when he kind of comes alive and you're able to look for him when it matters in the end zone. I think this guy could be someone like that, that could be really good at gobbling up touchdowns. The guy you looked for when uh, you look for the far end or the corner of the end zone, I think that's where he might do his best business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've been watching some tape on him today on the back of this. Just geez, yeah, the guy's huge. He can just he can break tackles. He can block. He can do everything you want a tight end to do, and with that route running ability as well, he, he provides a tantalizing option. If you want a tight end a little later on in the draft and you're not willing to spend high on McBride, that's the direction you want to be looking in. If you want something similar, for sure. And I'm going to be really. Interested to see his pro day, but more on that in a little bit. Uh, rounding out the receiving group for the west side. Um, Stanley Berryhill, the third from Arizona, your nearest and dearest rivals. He got 30 yards, as did Jareth Stearns, the star wide receiver from Western Kentucky. A bit of a quiet game for him, and their last touchdown was scored by Tegan Quatoriano, who's the tight end from Oklahoma State, and just a Round it off with hashtag love for special teams. Their punter, Ryan Stonehouse from Colorado State. He hit three for 128. He hit them all in the 20. Um, he did really well in pinning the East back in their own territory. And you saw some of the. Uh, training from this guy in their training sessions. Man, this guy could smack it an absolute mile. Not that we need to be looking at punters, thankfully, but he gets his love there. Um outside of the game, there are a few more guys who stood out during the week. I don't know if you know too much about this guy, but he's in your league. Kyle Phillips, the wide receiver from UCLA. Um reports on him as he dominated every single aspect of the practice here. He won all his one-on-ones. He was able to create separation and he got to showcase his bodywork skills as well because some of the QB throwing was errant but by all accounts, he's had one of the best weeks of everybody there. Did you see much of him? Obviously, Pac-12 rivals there. Was he on a radar at all?
0: Him and Stanley Berryhill. I know both of them very well. I've seen a lot of them this year. It's a uh, uh... Phillips, has a say, he's got a nice smooth route running. Uses his body really well. He's able to be strong at the point of impact. But he's also able to adjust, as you say. If the throw's not good, it's a bit above him or behind him. He's got the high enough IQ to reach behind him, go up and get it. I think he's someone that works good in tight spaces, stretch the field. He's someone that will be really good at the sideline, like say when he's able to haul in passes, if it's a bit too far in front of him. So he's someone that's able to... Use his hands and use space, right? say so he may not always be able to get away from guys, but coming off the line of scrimmage, someone that you look for early and he's able to make adjustments and key downs. And Hill. Uh, Arizona State, we we won the Territorial Cup again, but he was a bit of an issue. I remember he scored a touchdown for Arizona. I know Jordan Merriott on Twitter. he's a, He looks at the Pac-12 as well. He loves Stanley a lot. He's a smaller guy who plays out the slot. But he's got elite speed. He's got good hands as well for someone that's a bit smaller. You expect to see him possibly on Sundays, but he's a nice route runner as well. So two good examples of lesser known pac twelve guys, I think, that might have good chances to possibly get picked up next year.
1: Definitely. And sort of rounding out the wide receivers who did well this week as well. We've mentioned him a few times because he's the best-named wide receiver of the, uh, the lot of them this year. That is, of course, Charleston Rambo from the uh, Miami Hurricanes. Um, didn't really do much in the game, but he had a really good week. He got the catch of the week, which was an award that gets voted on there. It was an absolute snag and a half. You can see it on Twitter, but um, he was another one who won his one-on-one drills consistently. He's probably one of the best route runners out of a lot of them at this draft. His hands were really good and his release package is also monumentally good. He was on a bad Miami side this year, but we mentioned his names plenty of weeks for coming up with some big numbers and some good stats from the week. I mean, I've seen him projected a lot in the middle rounds here. I think he's going to do well for himself this year. A lot of Lions fans putting him in there as well. Don't know whether it's for the name or the player, but, you know, he's not done himself any harm either.
0: No, I remember Rambo when he came out. I think he was a really high-level project. Like, he had a good star rating coming out of college. In his early days at college, it didn't really work out. I think, was he a Sooner? I feel like he out have been at Oklahoma and transferred. I know it yes, wasn't he always was. at Miami. It wasn't always at Miami. It didn't work out for him there, like I say, but it doesn't a lot of the as these days. Came to Miami and I think what you have to say is inconsistency. Like I say, he can be electric, he can be a super weapon on the day. He's able to take the roof off defenses. He can make those spectacular catches. But then a week later, he might completely go missing. I think the only th- what I want to see him work on is probably discipline, blocking, things like that. Because I, I know he's got an excellent catch radius and he's, he's really athletic. I just want to see a bit more discipline, sustaining blocks as well, keeping concentration at times. But all the talents there, it's just, can he uh, use it and maintain it, I think.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, hopefully he finds himself the right home that will be able to utilise him properly in the NFL book. But- He's got a good chance there, and he's given himself the best possible chance in the lead-up to the draft here. Um, Just a few other guys to mention. Matthew Butler, the inside defensive lineman from Tennessee, big behemoth. He's 6'4", 300 pounds. He was another guy who did out well, particularly, they said, from the three-tech spot against the run. He was really good run blocking there, but also was able to get very good penetration on his pass rush reps as well. So if you're looking for interior defensive linemen, there is a name to watch out for. And we're going to round out the East-West Shrine Ball. I have to do this. And I just want to say the following analysis is not in any way been dragged out of me by another one of the uh, of our podcasters and is not in any way been influenced at all. But in the words of um, the guy from... Uh, oh, God, what am I thinking of now? In the words of the guy from The Pick of Destiny, this is the best tackle ever. Period. Ladies and gentlemen, Bam Olacini from Utah. (laughs) I think anyone who's watched any of our shows will know who has been really pushing for this guy here. But I mean, I mean, there's not much to say other than this guy is an absolute mammoth. He has a wingspan apparently of about 88 inches long. I've read somewhere apparently it's the same as a Canadian goose. Now, I don't know my uh, birds very well, but apparently that's pretty big. And apparently it will be the biggest in the NFL as well if and when he is drafted. Um, You may remember him if you've watched anything at all this year. When you watch the Pac-12 title game, he was the guy who kept Kayvon Thibodeau from doing anything at all. He was just an absolute monster in that game. During the week, he took reps at left tackle and right tackle and dominated a lot of the time on both sides. Now, one of the few sessions I was able to watch of practices that week, he had a very intense session and he was playing, he was matched up against the Norfolk State edge, um, Deshaun Dixon, I believe it was. And they had a really interesting session together. There was this one rep where Dixon managed to just swipe him aside off the get-go and got to the quarterback before Bam had even moved. He got completely and utterly rinsed by him, but then he reset himself for the next, um, for the next rep after that and put him in the dirt. But these two were really testing one another. One would win, the other would adjust, etc. It was really, really intriguing to watch. He's got a lot of developmental upside, has Olassini, and he had a really good week there. Um, what do you make of him? And our, our friend Tom. <laughs> at the podcast, he absolutely adores and loves this guy. And, you know, quite rightfully so, there is a lot to like about this guy.
0: Yeah, he's certainly learned his trade because he's gone the hard route. He went to Juco, he went to, I believe it's Garden City, which was a team that played in the Last Chance U series. They're in that small kind, I think, Mississippi kind of area. So he was spotted by scouts when he was playing in London. He's a London-born, he's a child, like say. He was, I believe he's under 19. I'm guessing if Tom knows him well, he must have been a London Warrior, not a Blitz. So he got picked up there. He was, from what I've heard, he was huge even then. Even as a junior and a senior, he was a big man. I've seen a photo of him stood next to someone, and he is a man mountain Yeah, he's got, like say, that albatross wingspan. He's able to gobble up those uh, those edge rushes where no one tries to get around him. Ridiculous size. And But he's got that uh, big, steady rock bottom as well. So he's in great proportions. Let's say he isn't overreaching or doesn't lean too far. And then he found his way to Utah. So, let's say, big physical Pac-12 conference. Had a great year. And great to see him there, playing his trade, winning on -on one-on-one drills as well against some really physical and fast defensive linemen and edge rushers. Done himself the world of good but like, there's no one out there that can say a bad word about the kid. Like say, incredibly bright, good IQ, he's had a good education as well, that's managed to get him this fine football, and it would be a delight to see him on Sundays, get another UK born, get another Londoner in the NFL. I think he's got a really good chance, maybe in the later rounds, you could pick him up as a prospect. There's an awful lot there to work with.
1: Well, I know Tom's, you know, petitioning math bomb for a RAS grade for him. So we'll probably see that come out very soon if he gets his way out. by But I just, when he opens those arms out, he looks like a swan it's just like completely out and you're like, oh my God, you need like one of those Acme rockets to sort of power your way around him because he was just pushing guys so far on the outside that when they eventually did get the bend on him, they were like seven or eight yards behind the quarterback. And it's just completely pointless trying to get up against him. But he was really fun to watch, but, Like I say, that session he had with Deshaun Dixon, I'm going to watch a bit more of him as well because he was giving him issues at one stage. But I like it when you get ding-dong battles like that where both players win, they adjust, they look better for it. So, yeah, Bam Olassini, he is definitely a guy to watch going up to the draft. And, you know, yeah, hopefully he does get his chance because he is a great developmental tackle could maybe see him at the Lions because we do need some depth there. Who knows? I know Tom would absolutely love that if he was able to get here. But that's everything for the East-West Shrine Bowl there. Some good performances. A good game, in fairness. A lot better than the game we're about to talk about now, which is the senior bowl we move on. So last week we went through sort of the first half week of practices, some of the guys who are standing out, etc. Obviously, since then, the practices are finished. The game has been played. We'll go through the game first, then we'll go back to the practices, see who really stood out for the week and who you're looking at more as a result of this now. So it was the Jets-led national team versus the American-led Lions team there. And unfortunately, the Jets managed to win this one. National won 20, points to 10 in a game which was completely and utterly decided by defensive linemen in this one it was a show and a half if you like good defensive line play so on the national team their quarterbacks Kenny Pickett he had a good day the quarterback from Pittsburgh six of six 89 yards and a touchdown Desmond Ritter had a really good day as well the quarterback from Cincinnati he went four of six 68 yards two touchdowns three times for 12 yards. And then one quarterback who really didn't have a good week and has caused himself a lot of draft harm is Carson Strong from Nevada. I've been petitioning for him all year, regretting that a little bit now. He went 6 of 11, 67 yards, one interception. He also fumbled the ball as well. Two guys who've really helped themselves. I mean, Pickett hasn't with his hand strength, but I mean, Ridders had a really good week. This could do a lot for him when it comes to draft time.
0: Yeah, Ridda. No one's been talking about Ridda. have they? I feel like a lot of people have called on him because, like I say, since he got spanked in the playoffs, but it wasn't because of him. He's had a great career and he's got that uh, big, strong frame. He's got pretty good accuracy as well. He looks like a leader, but no one's been talking about him. Like I say, you feel like he's sliding down the pecking order, like one of the less attractive QBs. So he really had to make his mark here. He had to rise above the noise because all this chatter was, uh, I'd say, Howell, Willis. Everyone else was kind of just getting lost in the uh, that uh, crippling static. I might say someone had to finally clear their air and make the noise for him. And I feel like on that side, it was him. Because pick it, you know what you're getting. Big, strong, solid pocket passer. Odd, limited mobility. But I'd say... That Ridder is a probably a master, jack of all trades master of none. Is a good all rounder.
1: Yeah, and it gives you good upside if you're going to get him. You can certainly mould him into the court about you want him to be there. Um, just a quick. Uh, set aside to the chat chrome is in the chat what up doe to you thank you for joining us as always lion rumble's still in there with us thank you for i hope you're enjoying the show he says i was pulling for carson as well yeah it's it's a shame with him i've loved him on the nevada team and if one thing he's shown that his knee is not as big an issue as everyone is making out so that may help him or some of the other things this week have really gone against him and he's a, He's one of the quarterbacks who's going to need an incredibly good throw day and the combine uh, really to re-energize his stock here. Although, you know, it might mean he drops to a point where he becomes really valuable in the draft. You just don't know. These things work in strange ways. Uh, The running back room for national, you know, the American team didn't deal with this really well at all. Their running backs dominated us. First one you'll know because he's an Arizona State guy and Ryan's mentioned him enough, That's obviously Rashad White. He went 11 carries, 52 yards. He had a reception for seven yards as well. And then Abram Smith, the running back I love from Baylor, he had 11 carries for 48 yards. He also got two receptions for 19 yards and a touchdown. Um, These two guys did themselves no harm at all when it came to the draft with this. Both were very impressive. They gained the hard yards and um, really puts forward a case to getting drafted higher than people suspected.
0: Yeah, these are two people that probably weren't getting talked about when the actual squads were announced, like people were overlooking them. Everyone overlooks the Pac-12. Everyone kind of craps on it, even me at best of times, but I'm allowed to because I'm a fan of it. But Rashad White is the best pass catching back in this class, and I will die on that hill. He needed to prove that he could do the solid, dirty work running the ball, which in this game he did. He got those tough yards, like, say, that 4.9, that 5.1-yard average. It's not a lot, but it's enough to prove that he's able to run between the tackles. And he's got a huge frame. Like Those statistical, those proper measurements came out. He's one of the biggest backs at, like, 6'2", 210, 215. I remember when Caelan Balage came out bigger, Arizona State, at all the hype in the world, fell totally flat. I don't think that's going to happen this time. Rashad is a different animal, and he's a, he's a much better dynamic pass weapon. And then Abram Smith on the other side, he is a bruiser. Like I say, he was in that heavy Baylor run offense, and I feel like he's someone that will really do some dirty work between between the tackles at the next level. So these two really complemented each other well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just I just like the way they, they just garnered the hard yards. I loved Abram Smith in this one as well. I know Richard did well. He got some of the bigger runs of the day. He was able to break separation, but Abram Smith just trucked through people like a tank. Uh, just exactly what I thought he'd be, and he's going to be an intriguing prospect if he's still down there quite later on in the draft. I'm looking forward to seeing if he falls far enough, whether he may be in contention there for us. Um, Thank you, all guys in the chat there. Lions Rumble says, great show, fellas. I'm digging you guys. They're digging in the crates for draft gems. Well, we really appreciate that, Lions Rumble. So we started this show to try and do this a little bit more, just to try and uh, sift through all the mounds of information in the draft and try and make it a little easier, try and find some of these guys who people aren't focusing on. We're really glad you're enjoying it. Thanks ever so much again. That does mean a hell of a lot to us. Um, Right, now, moving on to the receiving game of this, and this this is really weird. We were talking about how much we love their wide receiver core more than ours this week. But as it turns out, they didn't use them. So they had the top four receivers of the day who are not the top four, but their leading receiver for the day was Jake Ferguson. He is the tight end from Wisconsin. He had three receptions for 62 yards and a touchdown. He had some clutch catches. He had a really good day. Cole Turner, the the Hemoth tight end from Nevada, the six foot seven guy, I think he is. He had two receptions for 44 yards. Another who made some big plays when he needed to. Christian Watson, the wide receiver, he was the only guy in the top three who was a receiver in this one, the North Dakota State guy, the the guy that everyone is raving about, whose draft stock is just getting better daily. He had just one reception on the day, but it was for 38 yards, and it was a really good catch. A few yak after that as well. And then the other contributor... I've talked, I've talked about him enough here. I think he's tight end one for me in this draft. Trey McBride, Colorado State. He had two receptions, only 12 yards, but he got a touchdown and an impressive touchdown it was. I mean, I don't think you'd have thought the three biggest contributors on this team would be tight ends when we looked at their wide receiver and tight end units last week. We were really jealous they didn't have some of these guys, but they didn't use them.
0: No, they really didn't attack the down the sidelines. They did a lot of dirty work, checkdowns. Like, I love this group of tight ends. I would love for the Lions to take Christian Watson and Jake Ferguson. Jake Ferguson, I've said, is one of my favorites because first and foremost, supreme blocker. Comes from a heavy Wisconsin run offense. But 6'4", surprisingly good Chris Brute runner. Had a really nice game. As you mentioned, Cole Turner. He is a proper red zone threat, like say, at that 6'6 six, six frame. He caught a number of touchdowns in that Nevada offense. Watson, I do like him. He's shown that he measured up, that he wasn't all hype or lies. He did come in at nearly 6'5". Long, slender, savvy route runner. He's a good finisher. He's able to take the roof off. And then Trey McBride isn't always the, uh, the most attractive, but he does the dirty work when he's targeted, secures the ball, turns up field. He's able to get the hard yards without strong frame because he's used to being a heavy ball carrier. So you'd expect more wide receivers, but they attacked the sidelines and across the middle. They didn't look too deep in this game, no. But they had a really good set of guys there. Like they mixed it about really well.
1: See, yeah, this this tight end class for me. I know people go down on it looks it's not like a massive standout number one guy but the more i've looked at it the more i'm really intrigued by this you're obviously trey mcbride's the standout number one for me anyhow you know you only have to look at his sparring sessions with Jalen petra during the week in practice Jalen petra had one of the best weeks of anyone at the Senior Bowl, but he got absolutely dominated by Trey McBride, just such as he's used his frame to be a complete and utter mismatch against him. But then you've got guys, like you say, Jake Ferguson's really good. Cole Turner, I would love. I really like him. And just the size, again, is such an issue there for opposition teams. You've got Jelani Woods, who's playing well there. You've got Isaiah Lightley, who's apparently was doing really well with his blocking during the week. I think there's so many intriguing tight end prospects out there you know, later on down, who could be a lot more valuable than where they will be drafted. And I think it's become one of the more intriguing positions for me to look out on. So look for some of these names, especially when it comes to their pro days. If they test well, they're athletic enough. You know, some of them are going to get a lot of attention there. Now, moving on to the defense. Now, this is where the defense, this is where the game was won and lost. We said that during the week, defensive linemen looked like they were getting the better of the offensive linemen in the practice as well. This game, especially on the um, national side, they went to town. Their defense totaled eight sacks and 12 tackles for loss in this game. They were camped out in our backfield in what was a terrible day to be an offensive lineman. The standout guy and probably the winner of the entire week, all told, was the defensive tackle from Oklahoma, Perrion Winfrey. He was the MVP of this game. He got five tackles three tackles for a loss and two sacks and boy oh boy is his name going to get mentioned a hell of a lot more in the run up to draft he just dominated anything and everything in his way that week
0: yeah there was it didn't matter who you put in front of him <clears throat> didn't matter if you tried to block him or chip him with a tight end or if you wanted to get a running back in to try help shed or pick up a block he, he beat everything like I say he was able to get through the line really easily. Too easy at times. It was it was quite disheartening, as you mentioned, for the offensive lineman. But then when he did, he still had all the work to do. He still had to bring down two, like say, strong running backs, these big quarterbacks, like say, but he was able to get hands on them and he was able to finish off players. And he looked like he he's a good finisher. Like say he had a great week. He showed that he's got that penetration. He's able to shed blocks. Uh, rip hands down, swim technique. Like I say, he didn't don't rely on that elite speed. Not the fastest, but he's got good strength to win off the edge and he's able to break up and stop players before they're able to develop. So easily the best defender that had the best week. He showed it in drills and then when it counted at game speed too.
1: Absolutely. I mean, he's going to garner so much attention as a result of this week. Now he will be glad that he went there and he wasn't on his own. He was ably assisted on this one. So you also had Jesse Lukata. He's the defensive end from Penn State. He got two sacks on the day. And this guy, this, this guy's a really intriguing prospect, the third one. Our guy, Luke G, over in the States. He did a stream about this guy the other week. He was looking at him on tape and how impressive he was. And boy, oh boy, has he got a lot more tape to use now. And that wasn't a joke there. So defensive end, Boye Mafé from minnesota he had two sacks three tackles for a loss and a forced fumble he had probably just slightly lesser a week than winfrey himself but i mean that bar is so high that even slightly lesser is an elite week and now boy i think he's put himself right in the conversation for the first round above some of these guys who've been considered the long more established edges like the ajabos etc i think Maffey's put himself right up there with this week
0: Yeah, that class was, it felt like some of them were in concrete, but I don't feel like that's the case now. I feel like people have realised that this class is so much deeper. There's going to be so many defensive linemen and edges taken off the board this year. I say Minnesota didn't have a good year. It was not good by their standards, but he was a consistent threat off the edge, one of the mainstays on that defence. And he was able to show this week that even among some of the more flashier sexier names like I say that people didn't know what he, he was able to uh, be one of the strong stalwarts on the defensive line like I say managed to get to the quarterback a few times was able to beat whoever they're in front of him and uh, make big plays when it counted force the fumble like I say stop to drive dead and very effective when used as a weapon trying to get into the backfield
1: exactly and uh, you know I know our, I know our good friend Luke G will be grinning like a Cheshire cat after that game, because he only did the analysis last week, and people were like, hmm, maybe he could be there, but then he goes and has that game in the C D bowl, and he's just like, yeah, this guy is absolutely for real. Um, And then finishing off their defense, they they had the Baylor safety pair of JT Woods and Jalen Petra. Woods got the interception off Bailey Zappa to seal out the game, if I remember rightly, if I'm thinking correctly, and Petra had a good game himself. They They had a stacked defense and they came to play a lot of people who've put themselves really good consideration for the draft. Now, on the American team, um, quarterbacks, it was a little bit more iffy than the national side. Bailey Zappa led the way. The quarterback from Western Kentucky, he went eight of 13 for 103 yards and a pick off JT Woods, as aforementioned. Sam Howell, had a decent day, the quarterback from UNC. He went six of nine for 67 yards. He rushed five times for 29 yards and a touchdown. And then the last guy, and we're going to talk about this first because there's been so much we've seen written about him this week. We're talking about Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback, two of four for 11 yards that was his contribution. He had four rushes for 54 yards. He had the really big run that everyone was raving about just before he got pulled out the game. But after senior bowl week, there are so many people saying, take him at two, take him at two. I mean, have I missed something that did this week show that he's now not just a fringe round one prospect and a number two picker? Is it just me? Or or am I like, am I justified in being completely shocked by this new? found level of wanting for him at number two?
0: Oh, no, you shouldn't be anywhere near number two. Like, can people understand that this was an exhibition game? Like, this was played where it's it's full tilt, but it's kind of thud. Like, it's not go out there and light each other up. Like, it don't matter who wins, who loses. The practices were really good. Like, I saw Millie Willis was pretty accurate, but then they didn't ask him to throw the ball which is kind of weird because it doesn't match up with how he practised all week. He wasn't throwing. But we have know for a fact he's a dynamic rusher and he's a great runner of the ball. We've already known that for the last two years, so there wasn't anything new there. Have people learned anything new about Malik Willis? Well, no, you haven't. You've learned that he's great, he's got good accuracy, but when he's panicked or when there's a defence in his face, they can make mistakes out of him. But if you give him the ball on his hands on a designed run or if someone flushes him out the pocket he can potentially make magic happen with his feet. So didn't learn anything new. So I don't understand why anyone is bumping him up so high. He ain't got any chance of going at two. If he goes at two to Lions right now, I will say if the Lions have fallen in love with him and they draft him, that's fine. I won't negate that decision. But it's a decision that will define your entire tenure as a GM if it doesn't work out well you are you will have to hang your head and you have to answer for that one day. If it works out great, you look like a genius. It's too too rich for my blood. I'll trade back for him. If if we can get back to five or six and he's on the board, do you know what? Go for it. If you think he can learn off Goff. Because from where I'm sitting, don't not take a quarterback because you don't want to upset Jared Goff. Like his feeling should not come into it. And I've seen someone say, well, Goff might not like that. He might have a paddy. Well that's his, that's up to him. I think Malik Willis is suited to the next level because he's an elite dual threat athlete. The ceiling is incredibly high. But from what I know, the floor is pretty low because when he's flustered and he has a bad day, he turns the ball over and he sees things that aren't there and throws passes. He was good, he was accurate in practice, but why didn't he throw the ball in the game? I don't understand why he didn't get many design players I didn't take his read. He decided to bail on the play too quickly and run. That's not what I wanted to see. I didn't want to see him run the ball.
1: No, I don't get it either. He had the same amount of rushes as he had the same amount of throwing attempts, and it just makes no sense to me. Two is incredibly rich, and I agree with you. Brad Holmes is putting himself, you know, on the chopping block with that decision. I think that's how big the decision would be. If he punts at two and fails... You know, that could bring, you know, I don't think he's got as much shrift here. You know, Lions, GMs, the fan base is critical. A big error like that, I think, could be massively damning for him. And I wouldn't go. And if he's still there at 32, then great, go for it. But not at two. Don't buy it at all. And, you know, there's so many elite players at two, be it Hutchinson, be it Hamilton. These are game-changing guys, possibly right away off the bat. You don't pass them up for a project who could be good. Even if it's a quarterback, I just don't agree with it one bit. So, hopefully, this chatter dies down a little bit because I'm not spending two on him. No way, Jose. Um, in terms of the other guys, any, any things about those? I mean, Howell, Howell had a decent day. The way that D-line were getting after him and they were getting after Zappa, Howell took some big hits, but we know his resilience, his toughness. He completed most of his throws. Had a good rush in for a touchdown as well. I don't think he did himself any harm. And I think outside of that last throw, Zappa, he got a rough end of the deal. He came in later on when the offensive line had just given up and was getting chased at all ends. But he made some good throws as well. I think both of those two, they didn't do themselves no harm in the game itself.
0: See, there's, there's things I love about Sam Howell and there's things I hate about Sam Howell. Sam Howell doesn't protect himself very well, right? especially when he runs... He's not exactly the most. He won't always slide. I've seen him take a lot of hits this year where he's tried to get extra yards and he's been lit up a few times. But on the traverse of that, he is the guy that will stand in the pocket most and he was willing to take a shot knowing it's going to happen just after he releases the ball. But he's willing to stand in the line of fire and deliver, which I think is something that I really like. He has got the... The physical, he's got the toughness, he's got the bravery to be an NFL quarterback. He will put himself in harm's way and he's willing to brace for a hit as well. Whereas the other two might be a bit quicker to flush themselves out the pocket or escape if they feel some pressure coming. They might uh just give up on the play and see what they can do with their feet. But he got a nice rushing touchdown, like say he spread the offense out down in the red zone, bit uh misdirection, took the handoff and uh, should. He's got good short distance speed. Like so Over a long distance, he's not fast, but he's able to scoot and cover ground quickly. He got to the pile and finally even got across to him. So he's had a good year running the ball across short distances. He's been effective in that sense and didn't make any grave errors while throwing the ball as well. He was able to go through his progression. So he had a really good all-round day. Uh, Zappi, as we mentioned, you know, for a fact, he just loves to throw the ball. He reads the field really quickly. He's able to move the ball about. But when that one errant throw to JT Woods really did decide the game, it settled it, killed it off as a contest at the end, which was disappointing. You're going to get a lot of good from him, but you also at times you're going to get really bad, like because he does just sometimes go for it, trust his instincts where he should really consider his options a bit more and just just not just let go.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with pretty much most of that there. Um, just in the YouTube chat, Don Burr has joined us. Welcome to you. Great to have you here. He says, what's the convo? We're just currently talking about the senior bowl game. And then we should go talk about the week in general, some of the players who flashed there. So you've joined us just in time for that. Chrome is still in the chat. He says, yep, we need a big running back as a bulldozer. I would agree there. We need someone alongside, and Abram Smith really is an intriguing prospect if he falls far enough and he goes, we need another tight end as well. Again, agreed. Just depends what your – it depends what your priority list is in the draft. I mean, if you're doing offensive priorities, I think tight end second for me. A good blocking tight end of maybe a bit of a receiving threat is second. So I think it's quite high, but obviously you need a lot on the defense as well. So I think it's just the value you're going to get there is going to be the crucial thing. Trey McBride is there. 34, whatever, maybe you do pull there, you'll see um, so back to the American team, we've done the quarterbacks the running game wasn't really there the, uh, the quarterbacks rushed for most in this, Willis and Howell were two of the top three rushers on the team the only running back who saw some big action was TJ Pledger, the running back from Utah, I didn't quite like him uh, he got five carries for 33 yards, but nothing really of note. In the receiving game, I was quite happy. The two guys who showed out the most were the ones I wanted to see do well. So Velus Jones Jr., the wide receiver from Tennessee, he is the return specialist, nearly 2,200 return yards in college. You know, if you want a returner, that's the guy to go to. But he's a good receiver as well. He had four receptions for 53 yards, a couple of big catches in there as well. And then the second guy, Calvin Austin III, the very short but very speedy diminutive receiver from Memphis. He got two receptions for 45 yards. He absolutely fleeced the defensive back on one of those. We saw it all week in training. These two these two did themselves no harm for the draft either. I think out of all the receivers of ours, yeah, these are two you really wanted to see do well.
0: Yeah, these were two I think of the probably lesser names. Like I say they were come from the colleges that didn't get much exposure this year. Uh, Austin third, like I say he is a he's a speed freak. If you give him too much room, or you give him enough room or a cushion to get up to speed, he's going to burn you. He will breeze past you once the ball's in his hands, and then you'll just be chewing his dust. He is going to be someone that is going to be looked to take off the the roof off of a defense. He's going to be good on the, the long routes, try getting behind defensive back. I'd like to see him probably expand the root tree a little bit across the middle. I do, Like I say, I don't want him to come too obvious, but these two guys are going to be dynamic weapons in the return game. I expect to see both of them as a returner at the next level, like I say, because they've got that breakaway speed. They've got that vision. Once a haul happens, turn on the burners try and get through the guy or try beat the coverage, reverse it across the field. If they lose contain, we'll probably kiss by to both of them. I don't think you'll be catching them in a foot race because they've got that good shot twitch speed. So they had really good days. Like I say, once you get the ball, two guys that would be really good in like a team that uses a lot of screen passes. If you get guys blocking for them, they'll be able to do things yards after the catch. And I think they've got good futures in that kind of offence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was told the Lions really liked what Calvin Austin did as well. So, you know, potentially maybe something in that. You never know. There were a lot of players they... Expressed a liking for him this week gone by. Um, on the defense, obviously, nowhere near as effective of what the national uh, fielded there. But one guy who did stand out and just goes to show the sheer depth of the defensive edge class this year. We mentioned him in the uh, preview for the suit for the senior bowl, D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky. He had himself a really good day. He had six tackles. He got half a sack, and he got two quarterback hurries there as well. And the Tennessee cornerback Alonte Taylor, he picked off Carson Strong, um, which led to the sole touchdown that the American team scored that day. He picked him off quite close to the end zone, and then somehow ran it in two plays later. He had a really good day. But, I mean, it just goes to show, we've already mentioned it, but the depth of this defensive end class is just monumental, because D'Angelo Malone is well down there on the list of guys who you're thinking of when you come to defensive edge, but he's pretty damn good, and he's racked up a lot of stats whilst he's at Western Kentucky. He's a really good player, but he's just a victim of such a great class this year.
0: Yeah, a victim of a class, and also people will probably try use that Hall well, or he don't play great opposition. They'll try to use his schedule against him, I've no doubt, because that, that seems to be a go-to excuse these days, that it doesn't come up against the elite offensive linemen. But he's got a great engine. He just keeps going. As you mentioned, the quarterback hurries. He gets after guys. He'll very rarely take plays off. He's someone that you could put down on there as an edge player. And he might play every snap of the game. You'll get 100% from him all the time or very rarely leave the field. Had a good day against a, a stronger offensive line. Like Their offensive line did have a better day. They held up a better against the pass rush. He was still able to get through though and disrupt two players there, three quarterback twice, half a sack, like said says, so he was able to get into the backfield and with another one and meet. So he's someone that shows the great value in depth, could be a day three kind of guy that could be a nice prospect at the next level as a designated pass rusher and his snap count slower.
1: Yeah, I agree that I think he's going to do really well for someone if they scheme him right. And again, it's just, shows that this ed- ed- this edge class is deep, 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 deep. So if you don't get one at two, don't be worried because you're going to find value all the way throughout. And, of course, we have our main guy coming back from injury. So there's potential for a lot of schemes we can get in place there. So that's in terms of everything for the game. Now, we'll do some mentions about players during the week who impressed. And, you know, feel free to mention anyone you want here. But there's a few guys I put down. The first one's very intriguing I've put here, and that's Connor Haywood, our fullback. The Lions were saying a lot of very nice things about Conor Haywood. Obviously, it's his versatility as a H-back. He can do a lot there. He showed that versatility in practice. But there was a particular play during the game when I think he came in on, was it fourth and two, fourth and three? And he was hit before he got to the line of scrimmage. And he bulldozed his way over the line. He got about four or five yards after contact and just manhandled his defender over the line, this is what you're going to get with him. Obviously, he's Cam Haywood's younger brother and we know how physical he is, but he showed off some really good traits this week and you've got to think that a guy like Dan Campbell will absolutely love a player like this and he said as much himself.
0: Yeah, uh, I think back is one of those interesting positions, how teams use them. You've got Kyle Juszczyk, You've got Pat Ricard. They're maybe the two most notable HVACs in the NFL that can be used for a plethora of things. The Lions are kind of killing. We're kind of calling out for that player. Like say, Kabinda isn't as versatile. Like say, you don't know if he'll even return. There's also that hole at likes of tight ends. Connor Haywood, like say, he's got aggression, which is shorter than that player there. Like he was not going to be stopped, even though he was hit before the line to gain. He was able to take the man with him. So he's explosive in short areas. He's a good, solid blocker. I'd like him also, trust him to protect the quarterback. He's able to pick up blocks. And then if you work on expanding the root tree, if you were to put him on the line as an inline tight end or push him out into the slot, I think you could be really surprised at what he'd do. Like I say, not the quickest, not the strongest, but he's got good athleticism for the position, which I'd say is also, versatility is also a key word there. You can do multiple things with him. So he's someone that could, I think, work his way up through special teams and then make sure that he's valuable enough to keep a roster spot. I think he's someone that the Lions will really like. And where his position is, that kind of hybrid guy, it won't garner a huge amount of capital. This could be a guy that's taking a sixth or seventh round that could elevate himself very quickly to a starter and an offense that's able to successfully work out a H-back by someone that's able to use him in specific and different ways on an offense.
1: Yeah, I think you've got to keep a very close eye on Jason Cabinda here because obviously he's out of contract this year. Now, if the Lions decide not to bring him back or they give him a contract, and if you look at what that contract does, if, it, if you can get out of it cheap, I think that's a massive indicator that they will go for him because obviously you don't carry two fullbacks on a team into the season. I know they really like this guy, but, you know, we love Jason Kabinda and what he does here. But I think it's going to be very telling as to what happens. If they like Connor Haywood in any way, shape or form, you're going to see something with Kabinda, either him being released or being bought back on a contract, which is cheap to get out of. So that's one closely to watch out for. Other guys who've done well, Damone Pierce, the Florida running back, kind of really, Really good week, and he was talked about by the Lions. They said they were really impressed with how he played—not just his running back skills, but his prowess out the backfield. Do you reckon there's? Do you reckon it is just words the same, or do you reckon there will be genuine interest in there? Because running back is a contentious one for this draft. You certainly don't want to be taking one early, but early is potentially where he could be going.
0: I don't want to draft a running back at all. But when I watched the Lions, I know there's a glaring need for a, a bruiser. We need, like, say, an Abram Smith. We need a Brian Robinson. We need a big, heavy, short yardage back because if you keep asking the likes of DeAndre Swift to try to get those hard yards, you're going to break the kid. He will pick up injuries. You need someone a little bit more durable. I really don't want to go back before round round's five, but I know they're going to be gone probably sooner. But it's a deep... Pass It's a deep running back class. Like I say, I don't feel like we're going to be in the ballpark range for a lot of these guys. Some of these guys will go too soon, like I say. But we we do have a glaring need, like I say, whether whether you use Haywood at that role. Like to gauge where you take him in the draft is very difficult as a full-back, half-back running back. Like I say, you don't want to go too soon, but you don't want to wait too long and then he gets snapped up. But yeah, PS, someone like that, that that big stocky frame, if he slides a bit, if we're able to hopefully accumulate another draft pick, if we can use an extra capital, because we've got the compensatory picks as well. I'd be cool using one of those on a big back.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. If it's late enough and the value good enough, then maybe, but certainly not early. Yeah. Um, one Pride's 40 is asked us a question about Hutch in the chat. We'll get to that in a minute, One Pride. We'll finish off the senior ball week, then we'll talk draft because we've got a few questions in regards to that. Um, just a few other names to out. I think one, that, one of the most new talked-about names this week who you've not heard mentioned before, who's done himself a big service because he was on a really, really bad team, is Travis Jones. He is the interior defensive lineman from UConn. UConn were obviously completely and utterly bad this year I think that's the nicest thing I can say about them but he himself he's had a decent season but he had a really good senior ball week he was another on the defensive line who impressed on his one-on-ones he was really good in the run game when it came to clogging up the line of scrimmage he was like a block of cement no one could move him and there are a lot I've seen a lot of people on Twitter chatting about this guy now and there was no chatter About him before. I mean, this is potentially a good name to look out for if you're wanting to add another interior defensive lineman this year. You know, he's on a bad team, so he's gone completely under the radar.
0: Oh, yeah. If you looked at this kid, you'd never have guessed he'd come from one of the worst programs in football that was getting gashed by the run week in, week out. It's weird. Like, you take him out of that environment and you put him with some of these bigger names, put him in surrounding with some more elite company. And he managed to rise, he managed to raise his game to their level. He managed to elevate to their bar. And you know what? It's like you say, it's not, it wasn't pretty what he did, but he was a disruptor. He caused problems. He made running backs think twice about coming through the hole. He made them bounce to the outside, which is not what they want to do, or bail on their assignment. He was able to cause problems, block holes was able to swallow up guys. He's the kind of guy that you need to consider double teaming because he's got strength when he wants to try come through the middle. So he, he's probably going to be a late rounder, but he's going to be someone that for a team like say that needs interior defensive line help or as a rotational player could have tons of value at the next level. He's only going to get better once he works with these better guys, better coaches. It's he looks like a totally different guy from the uh, the husky. we've seen in the last couple of years on a team that really dragged him down i'd say
1: yeah that's the great thing about draft process when some of these guys get away from the bad teams you can see them spread their wings and start to fly and they can provide some great value for you because you've just not seen them before and what they're able to properly produce i mean one pride 40 he's a fan he says i like me some travis jones you're not on your own there there's a lot of guys who like some travis jones this year and to be fair if you're looking later on in the draft for interior defensive linemen, he's a good prospect to look at. That's where I'd have the Lions go in this year. I don't want any more IDL, especially high up the draft. You've got your two guys that you drafted last year. You've got to give them max reps if you can alongside Brockers. But if you want to get someone later on as a project, go for it. Absolutely. I'd be quite happy with that. The last guy I'm going to mention um, before, you know, we we'll, You know, if there's anyone you want to mention as well, that's fine. But um, one of the FCS guys who really balled out this week, the linebacker from Montana State, Troy Anderson, he showed off his skills in coverage, which he really needed to do. He had a really good week covering tight ends and running backs coming out the backfield. And again, he's another one. He's put himself on a radar now. He's shown that he's more than just what he showed at college.
0: Yeah, he's had a great year. He's had a great year. He's been one of the key factors, the leader on that Montana State defense. Took them all the way to a title game. Like say say, really strong in the run game. But as you mentioned, he's got a really big, long frame. He is a big, you look at the guy and you're like, you'd like him to be good in coverage because he's got that wingspan. And standing him up and then showing fakes or dropping him out into coverage, he showed that he's able to flip his hips well. Is able to keep up on the tail of a tight end or pick up a running back that wants to come out and come across the middle, sit down. Because if you do, he will punish you. He is a really hard hitter. He is a really good downhill tackler. So if he's able to keep up with you and then you then try to commit or take that short yardage, he's going to make you pay for it. I think at the next level, he's someone I'd like to see the Lions take on like a day three kind of guy because there's there's tons of upside there. And he's been around for quite a while. He was a key factor on that, that team for a number of years. And he's got all the attributes. He's got a lot of length as well. I think he's yeah. a good 6'3", 6'4". He's one of the bigger linebackers. So if he's able to be, I don't like to ever make these comparisons, but if he's in good in coverage and good like a Fred Warner, he's got that kind of build. Like He's the kind of guy I'd love to see, like an FCS version of that. I'd say. So he's someone I'd very much like to consider because we do need to upgrade that linebacking car, especially in the receiving area. That is where we get torched. Tight ends and that, they kill us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's going to be one. I'm hoping the Lions go to his pro day. We're going to talk about them in a bit. We're going to start pro day watch soon when they start, and uh, hopefully someone goes and takes a good look at him because he is absolutely worthy of consideration there. I mean, Who else, was there anyone who really stood out to you as well during Senior Bowl Week who's not been mentioned already? I mean, there were a lot of guys. I mean, JJ, Asher's favourite player. He came, he conquered, he left before the game even started. He did that well and he's made himself a ton of money. I know he's in Edge 4 conversation now, but outside of that, anyone else who really stood out for you?
0: Uh, Yeah, like uh, Woods, uh, all the talk was about Jalen Petra. We know what he can do. He hits hard, he's a big 6 2 guy. But the other guy, no one was talking about JT Woods, but he he kind of re- he was like, Well, hey guys, I'm here too. It's not all about Jalen, you know, like he had a really good game, had a good week, showed that he's pretty nifty in coverage. Like, I say, he's, he could probably play that like, free safety role if he was needs be, but he's able to come up and run support. And uh, Tariq Wollen as well, one of the bigger corners, like, I say, he was, he might have been the biggest at 6 3. I thought he's a bit skinny, he's a bit lean, but as a press man corner, like in the drills, it, guys found it real hard to shake him off. Even the smaller, faster guys that try to hit him with the moves, he has good reactions, solid hips. I'd say there was a few plays where he was uh, trying to beat him on double moves. He was able to react quick enough and recover, get some tips on the balls. He looks like someone that if he gains a bit of weight, puts a bit of muscle on that frame, He could be someone that could be a really good pickup in the later rounds, and will raise up boards because he's got the six three. He's got that. He's got that iffy kind of frame. I'd say the UTSA guy. So he's someone to really watch at the next level. He's only going to get better.
1: Oh, absolutely! You know me. I, I love me some Roadrunner this year. I've I've watched them every single game as as many as I can watch with great interest. And Tariq Woolen. Yeah, I agree. He's had a great week and he's firmly on my radar. If we're going to pluck another cornerback up at some stage later on, not early, absolutely not early. I mean, just talking about that, that disgusting mock draft that came out earlier with us in the week picking Stingley at two. If that happens, I know we're both going to riot, aren't we?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> I think if any team trades up for number two or anyone that even considers taking Stingley that high, like, you, need, you need sectioning. You need 24 or 48 hours in a, under a mental health act. Like, I have him as like corner three or four. People are living in the past. I just don't get it. I know he's elite. I know he was like 18 months ago, but it's not been for the last 18, year, uh, 18 months now. Like, I say he is. People are cooling on him. If we take a corner in the first round at all, I will be furious. I will question everything I know about this front office if they think that's one of the serious needs we have to adjust.
1: So if anyone from the Lions front office happens to be watching, however unlikely it may be, please don't take a cornerback too early. Go elsewhere instead. Much love, Ryan and Anthony. Um, so, yeah, you've got more value in the later rounds. So like I say, Tariq Woolen, go watch his tape. He's a great guy and I reckon he's going to be a great corner at the next level, and you get him for a lot better value. The other one, just to mention before we end our segment here, Zion Johnson, the guard from Boston College. Offensive lineman generally had a bad week all told there, but he was bloody brilliant. And if you're in that situation at the minute where you're threatening over Halepulavati and whether to cut him for the 4 million or not. If you want another guard at the next level, you're willing to spend big on him. He is your prime candidate to come in and take over that spot right away. Not that we're endorsing that. We all love Vitae on the pod here and none of us want to get rid of him. But if you do like your guard, Sion Johnson, he is the man. He had a great, great game there. So that's everything. is there anything else you want to mention about the senior bowl before we, uh, before we crack on?
0: Yeah, uh, no. There's a lot of comments like... Uh... Roger McCreary, he actually took a real shine to the Lions. He said that of all the coaches he met, he said like they set the bar really high. And that's the standard he's met for intensity when he gets to the next level. Like a lot of good stuff was said about Ben Johnson and Joe Staley. Sam Howell had lots to say about them as well, but they were great. And I think there's a lot of these guys here that would see Detroit as a a very viable option at the next level is to get to work with these kind of guys. We sent the best guys there and positive feedback's really good. Ben Johnson, I think, has got promoted because of the senior bowl. These guys must have been chattering in there. the ears of the feedback, and they thought, that's our offensive coordinator right there. Got on with these really young men. And we're gonna take a few of them. Like we've got a track record of picking guys from the senior bowl. Expect it to keep continue, guys. You're gonna see three or four on the roster
1: next year? Oh, Outside of pick two, I think every single pick's in play. Outside of pick two, I think every single pick that we have in the draft is in play for senior bowl guys. I generally do. Obviously, there's not a number two pick here. It ain't Malik Willis, but you know, I agree there entirely. I think the only other thing I'd say is, I want to see Juice Staley and that Jets coach who was leading them tag team in wrestling. You've seen the size of the pair of them. They would make a formidable wrestling duo. I would not mess with that Jets guy. I'm six foot four and, you know, enough pounds and I would not, I would not even step up to him. Guy's huge and just.
0: They'd have done, done better than the offensive lineman they had on the day.
1: Oh yeah. I ain't shifting him anywhere. No one shifted him. That guy would just look at me and I'd just like be like, yeah. That's fine. I don't want anything to do with you, but that would be intriguing there. So um, we'll move it on now. So we've still got the pro days to chat about, but we've got some questions in about the draft. So we can do some some draft chatter now. And one Pride 40 asked us somewhere, he goes, would anybody be upset if we picked Hutch? Now, I'd, obviously, I think the answer is no there. I don't think we'd be upset. I think it's just... In terms of value you're getting for pick here, you wonder what you're getting. There are, there are a lot of prospects you can take it to, I think. I think Hamilton needs to be in play with Hutch, but, you know, he, he was actually on the Pat McAfee show today, Hutch was, and he put up some interesting tidbits there, actually. He says he prefers working in the 3-4 defense as an outside backer. He wants to work as an outside backer at the next level. It says it gives him more time to read the plays, decide what he's going to do, etc. There and and you know that'll that'll fit what we're looking for, especially if Flowers goes bye bye because that's really the role that he holds there at the minute. So I think schematically there's going to be no issues there, but I don't know. I, I, we wouldn't be upset, would we? I wouldn't be upset.
0: I wouldn't like. I'd be happy. I wouldn't be ecstatic. Like. I want people to ask themselves this. Would they really want Hutchinson if he wasn't from Michigan? And if the question, if the answer to that is no, then ask yourselves, are you really bothered if we draft him? Because I don't think that many people are that bothered about Hutchinson if he's outside of state. If he's an out-of-state kid, sure he's great, but are they think he's worthy of two? Probably not. So is there a little bit of bias in there? I think that probably it's... He's a great player that's had a great year and I think he makes sense schematically in the scheme and people think he's this blue-chip kid that he'll, he'll wear his hat on his sleeve for the city and for the state. Even though we know he's not a Detroit fan, he's come out and said that. I'd be happy, but I've seen enough from the senior bowl class to say that the edge class is very deep. We don't have to just conform to taking energy to, just because everyone says so, just because everyone tells us we have to do it. Don't mean you have to do what you're told, like keep very much options there. Like you say, it could very well be a quarterback. We'd like to think it could be a safety. Uh that's kind of it. I like don't want touch offensive linemen. Like, people don't even bring that into consideration. But there's three major positions there, you don't have
1: to just be edge. Or according to one guy who's really high, a cornerback. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. I think I, I've said this enough times on my point of view, but I'd, I would not be upset if we drafted Hutch. Obviously, he, he, predicts, he predicts to be a very good player at the next level. But the problem for me that I have here, I look for value in the draft. And as you've mentioned there, the defensive end class in this draft offers so much value, whether you're going down to the end of round one, into round two. Hell, I think in round three, you're going to get some good guys. I mean, we didn't even talk about Cameron Thomas or anyone this week who are also great edge rushers in there. You've got the Angelo Malone right? Even right at the end of the draft who projects as a good one. I think the value you get most is by going with the safety. I love Kyle Hamilton. He is an elite prospect. He is the best football player in this draft, and I will not have my mind changed about that. He is an elite guy who is so far ahead of all the other safeties in this draft it is unreal you are not going to find anyone near as good as him even at the back end of the first because i think brisk has gone and then there's a drop-off whereas with the edge class you could end up with so many guys you could end up with jj potentially you could end up with enigbare you could end up there's, there's there's lots of guys in the end of that class who are going to be incredibly good for us we didn't forget, we've got our lead in Russia with Romeo Aquara already. We've potentially got Charles Harris coming back as well. You can still put a high-level prospect out there with them. The value you get for Hamilton and an edge is better than what you would get for, say, Hutchinson and a safety because the safety ain't going to be anywhere near as good as the edge that you're drafting at the end of the first. And for me, that's that's all this is about. It's about value. Obviously, we need a safety as well. We're not replacing anybody with the safety position. We're adding... As far as the edge goes, we're replacing Flowers. So we're doing that whole thing of we're not letting talent, you know, we're not adding to talent here. We're just replacing it. Obviously, they're probably going to be better than Flowers, whoever comes in. But I'm just looking purely at value. That's what does it for me. In
0: a a realistic world, like from where I am, there's only one safety in the first round. I can't see any left in the first round, if I'm perfectly honest. Brisker has health, health issues. Smoke Monday issues with tackling. Let's like say Jordan Battle got caught out a few times. That's that, that group. The fall off from Hamilton to the rest of the safeties is it's like strange. the Mariana. It's like the Mariana Trench. They may be good at the next level, but it's <laughs> anyone, is there anyone you draft at safety and you instantly say they're a contender for defensive rookie of the year? There is not, no. But nope. Kyle Hamilton, whoever gets taken in. He will be one of the bookies' favourites straight away because he can do everything. He can play on his own. He's one of the only true free safeties in the whole class. Everyone else would kind of want to partner with them. And edges, you mentioned, like people need to understand that, like, I say, we'll have a choir, a bit of a coming back from health, it'll be slow. Like, it's going to be an addition to a group. Like, I say, it's going to be having two bookend edges. Like, I say, with the safety class, you really may lose a lot. If you, if you get to like second and third round guys, like say we've picked up, like say there's a... I know we've both got, like say I've got Sterling, you've got Reed, but they could take quite a while to develop. Like say, but Kyle Hamilton is walking on day one. He will be there on that opening defensive snap of this game and he's ready to go and he's trusted. There won't be any teething issues with him and you can't just say that about most of the defensive backs.
1: Exactly. And if you're partnering him up with Tracy Walker in there, I think you've got such a dynamic backfield there already. You bring Marlowe back, maybe you've got some veteran presence in there, but you are adding an elite player to a position of such need. I mean, you know, I didn't even mention half the guys at Edge you can get later on. One pride footy in the chat, he mentions Zebakiti. He's another who had a really good week. I even forgot to mention Boy Maffey, and we've been talking about him for part of this show. I mean, these are elite, elite edge rushes you're going to get at the end of the first, and you're going to come away with potentially one of them and Kyle Hamilton. Yes, please. Absolutely yes, please. I don't care about his position. I don't care about the contract he's going to get. I want the best players here. And Hamilton represents the very best of the best in this draft. And then I'm getting a class edge rusher at the end of the first as well. For me, that's only my opinion, but I think, you know, that's the way I'm thinking for this. But as to the original question, would would I be upset if it was Hutch? No, I would not. He's going to be a great player. And at the end of the day, whoever Holmes drafts, I'm going to root for them because they're a Detroit line and we all want them to do really well there. Um Next question, Dan Dan, I mean, this is kind of going off that what we've done there. Dan Dan asked us on Facebook, who are we thinking with our first pick? I think we need the D-line player and an inside linebacker, also maybe a wide receiver. Well, I'd probably discount the last, in fact, I don't know. I, I don't think there's anyone worthy of the second overall pick. Is there out of those three classes? I mean, who's the best D-line guy? It's the, um, what's his face from? Oh, God. I've lost names now.
0: We're talking like proper interior defensive linemen like Jordan Davis or
1: Devontae Wyatt. That's it. Jordan Davis. Jordan oh, no, Davis. no. So you've got it's Jordan not. Davis. Inside linebacker, it will probably be um Devin Lloyd. I absolutely love Devin Lloyd, but not at two. And then wide receiver, you're looking Garrett Wilson, who's probably near to 10. I don't think you can really take any of those three at number two, can you?
0: No, no. Like said, he, he can't. Unless they're Calvin Johnson, I don't know of any wide receiver we could ever take it to. Like, you need to take a generational talent, yeah. and we don't have that here. Like, say an inside linebacker, the linebacker class is very deep too. So, there's no way he can do that either. We've seen the likes of uh, Chad Muma. You've got Jojo DeMann. You see, you've now got uh, got likes in the Kobe Dean. You've got all those other guys at backer. You have got Dumont Clark, who stocks runs and a little like. It's a deep class there, so no, I don't think linebacker goes top, maybe one, you might get one in the top ten, but that's also a very deep pool as well.
1: Yeah, I think if you're going to go Devin Lloyd, then obviously they're all hypothetical, but the hypothetical trade you see with the Jets for four and ten, then you take Devin Lloyd if you're at ten, absolutely. I mean, Jesus, if you walk away with Carl Hamilton and Devin Lloyd, you win the draft hands down, but I don't think at two that's really going to be the uh, the way to go. Um, Rob asks us on Twitter. He says, "Got quick reaction for this year. Draft a QB. Trade for a QB. Roll with Goff. Which one?
0: You don't. You don't trade for any quarterback. We're not in a position to trade for a quarterback. So anyone thinking Kyler Murray? Just, 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 just don't. Capital's too high. Wants too much money, and he's not proven. Roll with Goff." Well, we're already rolling with golf, aren't we? Goff's the start of next year, no matter what happens. Draft a quarterback? Absolutely. We are drafting a quarterback. but I don't think we picked those three at the senior bowl if we were not interested in drafting a quarterback because those were three of the elite prospects that all offered a different trait. So we're absolutely drafting a quarterback. Who? were Well, your grace is as good as mine, Rob. But yeah, yes, no, yes.
1: Um, oh, I'd agree. Well, we're definitely rolling with Goff. Drafting, I don't know. I think we only draft if the value's right. I think that's the only situation we draft right. Obviously, you don't pick Howell and Willis at two, but if they're there at 32, of course, you consider them. But again, if, if people start reaching for QBs early, then they might people might panic and might start getting them before they get to 32. You just don't know. But My gut is we roll with golf. We'll either go this year or we'll go next year, depending on what is there. I mean, um, yeah. Um, Going into YouTube chat, Joey two times. He says, "What up, Doe? What up, Doe? Joey, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it." One pride forty reckons there's no interest in a quarterback. See, I'm I'm primed to agree with him. Possibly a little bit there. Um, I. I'm possibly inclined to agree with him a little bit more. I'm, I'm not sure the interest is there unless the value is. When with a lot of players, you might trade up for in that, but I certainly don't see a trade-up scenario for one, and I only see the interest in there. I reckon they'll have a position group for every quarterback, and if none of them fall to that pick and there's no better option available, I don't think there will be one there. So, you know, remains to be seen. Uh, Dan McGinnis in the chat. Oh, I think that's Dan Dan off Facebook. He says, thanks for the reply, fellas. I am actually meant I think they are the players we need not to take them at two. Who out the top three players would we take at two? Oh, okay. In that, in that case, that's absolutely fine. So, I mean, what did we have? We had IDL, um, wide receiver, and we had inside linebacker. I, I mean, I'd put inside linebacker first. I'd then put wide receiver, then I'd put D-line, I reckon. We need a coverage linebacker like crazy. And if Devin Lloyd's out of the top of those classes, I'd draft him out the other two. I don't know. What about you? Uh,
0: I'm not taking him defensive lineman at all. I think I think we have to see what we've got. Like, say, we've got, uh, got Pina Cena, we've got Aline McNeil, we've got uh, Levi and Wizarica, we've got Brockers. Let's say we protected Bruce Hector on the practice squad who also be interior. So you can't say we've not got enough to see what we've got there. So I'm not spending on the capital on that. So that's third. Wide receiver, if the right, well, well, you can't take any of them at two. But if we're talking like 32 and I think there's – Better free agent wide receivers and his backers. So I will put linebacker prior to one as well. I think we'll, if we're relying on free agency to upgrade linebacker, we might struggle. But say with wide receivers, there could be 10 a penny. Like say, there's obviously, there's going to be like Godwin, there'll be Juju, there'll be guys like that where they'll be readily available 10 a penny as a potential wide receiver one in free agency. But linebacker, I just don't see many. They will get tied down. Like say, they'll get tagged. So I think we draft a placement because I don't think Anzalone is coming back.
1: No, no, I agree. I, I really want us to be able to trade ourselves in a position for Devin Lloyd. I, I'd love that more than anything. I think he's by far and away the best coverage guy, the best all-round linebacker in this draft. But there are options to be had later on. But yeah, I like a good linebacker. I want us to have our own Luke Keithley in the side. It would be amazing years since we've had one so yeah ilb is definitely the biggest one for me and in terms of he finishes off who out the top three players will be taken to i've mentioned it i'm taking kyle hamilton all day any day best player of football in the draft potential elite guy hall of fame material i'm taking him would you be the same or would there be someone you take it to over him <laughs>
0: No, like I say, I don't care what the majority thinks, I don't care who it looks at. I would love to see Kyle Hamilton and in a Lions jersey, and also Pleasant and Aaron Glenn. They would love to have Kyle Hamilton, like that is probably the dream scenario for them personally. Having that franchise leader that we've not had since Glover Quinn. When's the last time yeah. we had an effective safety like that? It's yeah. been a while since we had Quinn and Ian Digbo. Probably the last great pair, and that's going back, like, what, five, six years now.
1: Exactly. If you've got a ball hawking safety of his calibre on your team, then teams start thinking twice about passing it as much on you, especially all this intermediate stuff over the field. He can come up and read plays and disrupt that. And if you make a quarterback think twice, it's invaluable to your team there. So, yeah, Dan, out of Hamilton, which and I think we're both going hamilton Kayvon, I don't want anywhere near. And I know you're the same. Kayvon is a one trick pony who relies on his strength to beat the outside edge and to get there. And I think for me, it's not enough at the next level. You've got to have a bigger repertoire of pass rush moves in the Arsenal. Look at George Karlaftis. He's got a full arsenal of pass rush moves, and he may not be as physically imposing as Kayvon, but he's just as effective. And at the next level, for me, that's going to translate better. And I don't want anyone near him. So, you know. Hamilton for us both, I reckon, then it would be Puch, then it would be Kayvon. Um, KP is in the chat, thank you for joining us. He goes, I think there should be a lot of impact wide receivers available at 32, if you can grab Dotson or Jamison Williams to our skill group that would be exciting when you include Swift. I mean, yeah. I, I think I would agree. I mean, Jameson obviously, he's just done his ACL, so it remains to be seen how he comes back from that. You want to make sure that thing fully heals. But Dotson would be good there. Burks, if somehow he managed to fall there, would be good. And then you've got the – oh, God, who's the Penn State one? Oh, no, not the Penn State one. Nevada one. Daubs. Daubs will be up there. I, I'd agree with that. I think there's a lot of impact wide receivers to be had at the end of the first. Who would provide good value?
0: I can see them like in Drake London. I think – it, it it's how he works out after that broken ankle and surgery. His combine and his pro day will be key. But for what he was doing and the pace he was going to set, he would have been one of the best receivers in the whole nation. I think they'd love to pair him with Amon Ra. So he's certainly someone that will be in play, I think, at 32, unless he rises and he has a really good workout, if he's healed in time.
1: And he was having an incredibly good season before he went out as well. I think he was torching guys for fun before he got in. I keep getting mixed up because there's Drake Jackson in there as well, isn't there, the edge? I keep getting mixed up between Drake London and Drake Jackson. I'm thinking of the edge and not the wide receiver, but yeah. Yep, agree with you there, KP. There's a lot of impact, guys, to be had there. Um, Dan just says, thanks again, fellas. Love the show. Keep up all the hard work you do for us, UK fans. Hey, Dan, that, that does really mean a lot to us. That is why we started the show, to try and make it a little bit easier to understand the big convoluted college scene. And uh, we're liking to think we've got there after a little while. We're on show 23 now. We're starting to get into our groove. But we appreciate you listening. And hopefully this is this show is useful for you and just rounding off the questions before we start on the pro day stuff, Usman Khan tweeted us, he says maybe talk about the O line and Jeff Akuda. Well we can talk about these in relation to the draft. I know we've mentioned corner already, but you know, are you if, if you are looking for corner in this draft, is it potentially as a replacement for Akuda or is it an addition to what is already a really good cornerback room? Because I think Jeff's going to struggle to get back in this team when he's fit. I think these UDFA guys have rightly earned some of these starting spots. And it's very it's very weird to work out the hierarchy now, especially when you throw Iffi in there as well. And maybe Bobby Price if he comes back.
0: Uh I'm not if Akuda has a bad year, I think he will I think he's gone. I think they will look to move him on our trade him next year. If he's healthy this year, but struggles to show what he's sure to be number three, they will not they won't drag it out. They won't drag this out longer than it needs to be. So any cornerback that comes in this year could very well be a direct replacement for him. I think he has got a mountain to climb. A defensive back that wants to play man coverage or press at the line that is coming from a serious knee injury, Like it, it doesn't bode well for the future. And if they're not really interested in trying to work him in safety or try to move him around a little bit and they just They want to see he was able to rise the challenge. Then this is his make or break year. I know he's lost a lot to injury, but he's now a third-year guy, and no one wanted to go cornerback in the first place at number three. It's because they couldn't trade it; they felt like to draft him. Today, it's not panned out, uh, and it wasn't their pick. So, unfortunately, he's very much on the bubble this year. Right, so he has to have a good year. And he has to stay healthy. Now, obviously that's not always in his control, but he has got to apply himself. He will probably open as I'd say cornerback three. I don't think he'll be a starter. I don't think there's any way, even with rehab, that you see him game one. I think they'll ease him in very gradually. I think Armani will be one. I'd like to think outside, you probably think with a full camp that if he can win the job for number two, it'll rotate with Jerry. But yeah. He's going to be three or four. Like, say, he has got a hell of a lot of work to do and he needs a bit of help. Like, say, a, a, he could possibly deal with some of the others missing a little bit of game time himself to try and get back into the mix.
1: Mm, I mean, I, I'd go one further. I think that any cornerback who's coming into this camp or any, you know, guy in the secondary is going to be under an immense amount more of pressure than they were before because these, and I've said it on the main podcast, these undrafted free agents have come in and they have just redefined what it means to be a player and the level of development you expect because those two came in as pure thoroughbred rookies outsiders, undrafted free agents with no experience whatsoever at this level, not drafted, and they have come in and they have worked themselves to the absolute bone. And within a year, you know, Jacobs is potentially a starter. Parker is a solid rotational option from where they've come from to develop that far. I think that puts even more pressure on the drafted guys now because if undrafted free agents can do that, then your draft picks should be able to do that as well. And I'm with you. I don't think is going to get a huge lease of life because after one year, if he's still not doing it, then, you know, the undrafted free agents have shown that it can be done in a year. Now, obviously, hopefully, Akuda is healthy and gets the best chance to do it. But he's in a bit of bother there, that's for sure. Um, quickly going back to the receivers, um, Depp fan man, he goes, if his name was Robio Dubes, as in d OBS. He'd be a first round pick with the name alone. I agree. That would be pretty funny. Chrome reckons he can see us taking Drake London. Agreed. Especially if they're listening to Amon Ra, if they can get something going. Absolutely. That's the right thing there to do. And then just to finish off with Usman's question, he asks about the O-line. I mean, O-line in the draft, for me, I'm I'm drafting depth and development guys. I'm not drafting starters. Would, would you agree with that, or would you maybe look at a starter with Vitae and whatnot?
0: See, if someone really slides, I don't think – I think they'd pull a the trigger. I think they'd uh, they'd take, they'd probably maybe even take – use like a third rounder if someone falls. I'm looking further than that. I'm looking for, I agree, depth. Depending on what they plan to do in free agency, do they plan to keep the likes – do they plan to bring back Crosby? Is he done in Detroit? Like say, has he got any future here? There's a lot of questions. Kramer managed to force his way into the talks this year. I've no doubt we'll probably see, say, Nelson. Skipper, like I said, there'll be bodies that are here next year too. So it's going to be a deep class. Uh, they won't be going for any of the elite names. Like I said, there's a lot of guys out there that we just probably won't have any interest in. And I, I hope we don't try to overload this offensive line room with big names. Let's just get some depth. Let's say like a Darian Kennard. I don't think he'll go that highly, but he's a versatile weapon on the offensive line. Obviously, the first Kentucky product we've got didn't work out, not worked out yet to date, but I'd still dip back into the pool if needs be. I'd certainly like a guard if they do think that that 4 million is more important than keeping tie. I can understand that if he's if he is axed, then you know how they're going to feel. You'll know they'll be drafting a guard. So what they do with him will certainly be a a telling point of what's going to happen in the draft. But I'd certainly like to get someone to learn from him because even with a good year, you think they'd move on in twenty twenty three if there's someone ready to step in.
1: Yeah, I I agree a lot there. Like I say, I'm looking depth primarily. Hopefully, we can get Evan Brown back. Which is your center covered, and maybe get him some reps of guard if you want to put him in there. But if you're looking at tackles, you've got some good options. We mentioned Bam Olesini earlier. If you want a developmental guy, there's Godecker, the right tackle from Central Michigan. He's close to home. He's probably a fifth, sixth round guy. You know, there's a lot of good development guys you can get out there. I mean, obviously, it'll, like you said, it depends if Crosby comes back. I love, I love Tyrell Crosby, and if he can get fit and come back as our swing tackle again then you completely eliminate the need for one. So, you know, it's going to be interesting, but it'd be the same with guard. I'd I'd look for maybe a developmental guard. The only way I'd draft one is obviously we let Vitae go. Then Zion Johnson's right in the frame, but I don't want to let Vitae go. So, yeah, I expect to see a few day three O-line picks, maybe late day two, possibly, but nothing more than that there. Um. So... Moving on. I mean, obviously, if, if you've got any more questions about the draft in the chat, go for it. Um, we're just going to finish off now by talking about the pro day scene. So, obviously, we're coming up to that important part of the uh, draft process now where the Combine's coming up. The list of 340-odd players has been announced for that, and I'm really upset because there's no Reid Blankenship involved. But, hey, Tank is draft stock. We can just take him later, and we'll get an absolute steal for him. So joke is on you combine but um, then you've got the pro day scene coming up which starts in early March now there's been quite a few out so far some of the bigger schools Michigan's Purdue's if you're looking for your rushers and that have not released their thing yet but I thought we'd go through the um, pro day schedule that has been released so far maybe highlight some players who we're looking at what we want to see from them in these pro days and you know going towards the draft you know to make us really want to draft them that little bit more and then obviously as the schedule goes on we'll keep a very close eye on there I did a Lions watch last year I managed to find every pro day the Lions went to through a lot of hard work and we'll just update you week by week as they go on there so as it stands the pro day scene starts on March the 8th now this is really the last stop for guys to impress any visiting scouts that may be there. Some of the smaller schools get less scouts. Some of the big ones get absolutely everybody GMs and that involved. So, as I say, it starts on the March the 8th, which is a Tuesday. The first two schools to do theirs are Northwestern and Miami, Ohio. And I know looking at that Miami side, there's one player who you're really going to have a vested interest in watching that day.
0: Yep, there's, there's two players. Uh, oh, Jack Sorensen the wide receiver who had a really good year the Lions will probably look him but the obviously it's going to be Sterling Weatherford the safe four year starting safety that was a linebacker at the senior bowl so that maybe raises the question where does his future lie at the next level is that hybrid but all eyes will be on them too like I say we'll be watching both of them very carefully
1: Yep. And it was interesting. They moved Weatherford to corner at the senior bowl, didn't they? So maybe oh was it corner? No, it was linebacker. Sorry. They moved him to linebacker, a, didn't they? He's a
0: very versatile guy, yeah. He's got he's massive as well. Like I say. he reminds me of what the uh the NFL did to Divine Diablo this year. He moved to linebacker properly. He's a big six foot three safety as well.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see. What level of scout the Lions send there, if anybody. If they're going to look for... They they like their versatile guys, so maybe they will be looking at him. Northwestern, I don't think there's too many prospects coming out of there this season, if I'm thinking correctly. There isn't, is there?
0: No, Brandon Joseph, their star safety. Instead of entering the uh, draft, he went to Notre Dame.
1: Yeah. They got their Kyle Hamilton replacement, and Northwestern, going to be a tough year next year for them, you feel. Although I don't know how they've done in their uh, recruiting class. We'll have to have a look at those in weeks to come up. Uh, So next you've got March the 9th on the Wednesday. So this is actually quite a loaded day, actually. You've got Alabama A&M. Obviously the big talking point there is Akil Glass, the quarterback. We mentioned him in regards to the HBCU combine. That's going to be a really big day for him and a potential to show out in front of a lot of scouts there. You've got UAB, the University of Alabama, Birmingham, got Arkansas, big talking point there. Traylon Burks, the uh, huge wide receiver with five XL hands, who's going to have a really good career at the next level, I feel. Although I feel he's not in play for us, given where we're positioned in the draft. You've got Kansas, you've got Oklahoma, the Sooners. Obviously, defensive tackle Perry and Winfrey. All the chat about is about him at the minute. He's going to have a chance to show out there and really do well. You've got Wichita Baptiste, the UTSA, the University of Texas San Antonio Roadrunners. Obviously, we mentioned, well, I've mentioned in previous weeks, Spencer Burford, the left tackle. He didn't have the greatest senior ball week, but one to watch out for if you're looking for development tackles. Then you've got Wisconsin, Jojo DeMann and company there. I mean, this is a stacked day. Who are you most looking forward to seeing on the pro days here and hoping that they really have a good showing out of this lot?
0: Uh, Wisconsin because they've got that. Say they've got a pair of linebackers. They've got two linebackers. I think the Lions will be interested in. Like, say they got demand. And oh, I always forget. Uh, Chabot. I think his teammate's something. Leo Chabal, He's the other draft eligible. Leo. Leo He's a good linebacker as well. So I'd like to see the Lions end represented there. Uh, like say Akil Glass. He uh. Upgrade his ball game. might say he skipped the HBCU to go to the, uh, the uh, ball game. I think he's going to be someone certainly to watch. I don't know how many representatives will be there. He's also got, what was the name of his tight end? There's a tight ends with him as well. So there's two prospects to possibly watch there. Oklahoma, I don't think he'll be that bothered about Oklahoma. I don't think there's many there that really set the world alight this year. But UTSA, as you mentioned, Burford, Sincere McCormack McCormack, the star running back he's going to be certainly a guy that people are watching, and Tariq Wollen, so I expect they'll have quite a few people
1: watching them there, so
0: that's quite a decent lineup.
1: Is it D. Anderson you were thinking of? Yeah, the Alabama that, tight. End. Key,
0: yeah, so he, he, yeah. he was one of his favourite targets for the last and he was at the HBCU Combine I believe as well so they've had a look at him so now let's see them work together There'll be a lot of drills where they're working together, I imagine.
1: Yeah, so I agree with you. Tariq Woolen for me is the big one to watch out for that day in terms of corners. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Uh, Wisconsin, Jojo man obviously, he's the coverage guy. You really want to see him move well, do his three cones really, you know, really well, move well. You want that Jake in your Ferguson. coverage linebackers. Jake, Jake Ferguson, Ferguson at Wisconsin. Yeah. Jake Ferguson, the tight end. Obviously, I think he's shown he showcased a lot of himself this weekend. I think you just want to see him put up good athletic numbers there that day. So Wednesday the 9th is a big day, potentially a lot of good on show there. Um, March the 10th on the Thursday, you've got Arkansas State. Then on March the 11th, you've got Arkansas Pine Bluff. Out of the top of my head, I can't think of anyone there. I know we covered Pine Bluff in the HCBU, but I don't think there was anyone who jumped off the... Uh, who jumped off the rails for that one?
0: No, I, I don't remember. I don't think they
1: were. No. no, that's fine. Um, so then, obviously, there's none over the weekend. So there's there's very few pro days over the weekend. So you march over to the Monday then, which is March the fourteenth. You've got Kennesaw State, you've got Kent State, you've got Vanderbilt, and you've got Western Michigan. Now, this is probably the day for quarterbacks, because Kent State, you've got our aforementioned quarterback from earlier in the game. He had a really bad day there, and he's going to have to have a wonderful pro day to um, really start getting any momentum back up about him. And then Western Michigan, you've got Caleb Ellerby who is a favourite of some Lions fans around and one of the developmental guys to look for. I mean, what are you looking for from Ellaby, if anything, from his pro day that would make you think, hmm, hang on, you know, I could I could join the hype here?
0: Uh, I've enjoyed watching him all year. He's got a really good arm. Uh, I like to see the uh, the dual threat side of him. I like to see his footwork, see how he works in the corn drill, see how he moves around the pocket. Because I think passing the ball, I'm pretty much convinced he's there. Like I say, I'd like to see the pocket prowess and everything that comes together like that. Dustin Crum. He has got his he has got some job on his hands. He's had a rough year. Didn't have a good yeah. uh, didn't have a good ball game, I'd say. So uh, I think also as well. Oh I think he's draft eligible, might be a senior. They've got the uh he's not related to Quintes, but they had a they had Cephas. they had a receiver as well. So, I'm hoping that we're, he might be on show as well, though, Dustin Crumb, too. He, he looked really good in the games I watched this year.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I can't remember his first name either, but I, I did the research and I realised they weren't related beforehand. So, yeah, possibly something quarterbacks here that day, but Caleb Ellaby. Keep an eye out for him. He may be the sleeper one to watch. Then March 15th on the Tuesday, we have uh, we have a nice little uh, group here, actually. We've got Arizona, that's the Wildcats, Ryan's sworn enemies, Oban, Central Michigan, Grand Valley State, Saginaw Valley State, and UCLA. So obviously with Central Michigan, you've got the pair of tackles. You've got Godeka, and you've got Raymond, the big 20-foot-tall Austrian guy who's like a man-mounted. You know, I think Godecker's more in line for us. Raymond, I've seen getting first round projections at this point, and I think that's a little too rich for us. But um, Godecker's certainly the one to watch out for there. You want to see him test and move well in that, and hopefully he's going to do his stock some good. And I wouldn't mind if we drafted him, to be fair. Um, Obviously, Arizona, UCLA, Pac-12, anyone you're looking forward to seeing on the pro days who you've got in? interest in I know we mentioned Carl Phillips earlier it's going to be interesting to see if he can build on what he did but anyone else really standing out of those two for you uh, well a lot
0: of people don't seem to like Greg Dolchich like the tight end who's shown some flashes like us say uh, as a senior so I think he's certainly someone that we probably should take a good look at if we're going to be in the market for a tight end too because I, I don't think he's that bad I know he's dropped passes I know he's had issues with consistency when it comes to the passing game, but he's someone that will probably be one of the names that he's really going to look at at UCLA there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then obviously with Obern, you've got Roger McCreary on show there. I mean, is, is there anything more that he can prove on a pro day? Because, I mean, I think you know, I really like him as a prospect. It's just, again, corner, is it maybe too high? Because he's a he's second-round guy at the minute. It's a bit too rich, but is there anything else you can do to maybe change your mind about picking the picking him that high? Or have you seen what you yeah. need to?
0: I've seen what I have need to. Like you say, I know he's got the the short arms. He's not got the height. If anything, Auburn. I want to see Smoke Monda. Like say, I want to see him because he Bring
1: he has smoke. issues.
0: He's got issues. Like say the the tackling. He does miss the odd tackle. He can be a bit over aggressive. So, but athleticism wise and everything i really like the guy so he's certainly someone that needs to have a good day because he is someone that's in a stacked class that is probably trying to keep his head above water he could slide if with a with a bad day he will slide
1: yeah yeah i agree with that one um he really does need to show out well there in probably all facets of the of what he's doing um Next, we're on March the 16th, the Wednesday. A um, few potential interesting ones here. So you've got Michigan State, the Spartans. You've got Minnesota, and you've got San Jose State. Now, obviously, we've talked about a couple of guys here, but you've got Connor Haywood on the Spartans. You've got, is it Naylor, the receiver? I know one of them went back. I think Naylor's the one who is uh, is going to the draft. He's the speedster who's a late-round pick to keep an eye on there. And also with Minnesota, you've got Boy Mathé, who's probably going to test off the charts. And if he does, it's going to be really intriguing to see how high he goes. But there's there's a nice little smuggish board of players to watch on this day.
0: There is, yeah, Jalen here, like I say, uh, as a returner. I think he's going to be someone that's going to get a lot of looks. Like I say, you'd like to see him returning kicks. I think they'll, uh, they'll put him on punting duties, so you're going to be able to see what he looks like at real speed, in real time, like I say. So he's going to be certainly someone to look at as a as a late-round guy, as a speedster. He's a burner that takes the roof off of defences. So let's see what else he's able to do closer to line of scrimmage. Connor Hayward, he's going to be doing a bit of everything. For me, I want to see how agile he is. I want to see the cone drills. Like I say, I know everything about him. I want to see how good he is across short distances, what sort of burst he's got.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um yeah, that's it. Um San Jose State, I'm not sure about their draft class this year, but no names again stick out about me. Ew. Is there anyone is there anyone from I think they've got the safety, don't they? Um what's his name? Oh god, I'm I'm drawing a blank. is it Jay Leonard? Is he the safety there who's drawn a little bit of interest? I think I've not seen him high on safety boards. I think I recognize the name, yeah. Yeah, so maybe Michigan State, Minnesota, are the ones to watch there. Um, Thursday, the seventeenth of March, East Michigan. No names bounce off for me there. Don't think there's anyone who would really be on Arthur. I don't know. East Michigan? Anyone there?
0: Yeah, I don't know many there, no. Like I, said, it's, uh, no. I can't think of anyone
1: that's no, I can't think of the the- edge. I can't either there, so we'll move it on. So March the 18th, uh, it's just South Carolina, but obviously the big standout guy here you may be looking at, obviously, Kingsley, Inegbare the edge rusher. I mean, you know, in such a loaded edge class, all these edge rushers really need to stand out on their pro days, but I think him, it's his pure strength and power on the show that really, that really do for him. He's maybe not the quickest, but he's strong and he'll just bull rush his way through people to get to a quarterback. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Is there anything that you want to see from him in his pro day or is it just what he does best, put it on show, go for it from there?
0: Uh, no, I want to see what he does worst because I think his bench press will probably be ridiculous. I think he'll probably be a huge amount of reps, but I want to see, uh, I want to see his high jump and his long jump. I want to see how flexible he is and how explosive he is in the bottom half because I know he's got a good upper body but I want to see uh, his athleticism in that sense because he needs that at the next level. He won't be able to just rely on strength if he doesn't have the uh, speed or agility.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed. But um, again, this edge class is just a funny one, but <laughs> there's that many guys around. These guys are really going to have to put in performances. I'd like say, he's going to bench something chronic. And you know, it's gonna be amazing to see. So it's gonna be fun to see some of these guys and especially what the rascals are as well, because they seem to be taking importance in what they do nowadays. Um the only Saturday one I found so far comes on the 19th of March. That's Citadel, and even my knowledge doesn't go that far. You're not a Citadel expert, are you by any chance right?
0: <laughs> no, I know the Citadel are not good. <laughs> They're not good. I've seen the last it at that years. then they've, they've, they've been hype. they get hiding
1: save your Saturday then no need to watch Citadel and their Pro Bowl so moving on Monday the 21st of March um, you've got Iowa you've got Jackson State Deion Sanders' team and then you've got Syracuse Um, I know I should be thinking of players from Iowa but I'm drawing a blank at the minute the running back Tyler Goodson is in this draft is he not
0: I believe so yes
1: I mean he's projected later I think he's a day two, three prospect at the minute, isn't he? So, I mean, he's another one of those, of if he pulls out as a running back, maybe. But I think there are other options I prefer back there.
0: They've got a defensive lineman. I think it's, is it Tyler Van Zansen? I think that's his name. And he's had a really good year. He's an edge defensive lineman, I believe, at Iowa. I think he's going to be someone to watch in his draft class. I think that's his name.
1: Oh, God, what am I thinking about? Obviously, the one I don't, Tyler Lindenbaum. Is the center who's garnering, like, he's, he's potentially top five in some drafts. I know we're not going to draft him, there's absolutely no, no chance, but you know, top, if you like, centers, he's, the, he's the one to watch, I yeah. guess, when you're going to Iowa this year.
0: Yeah, him and Alec Lindstrom, yeah. Best I think I've
1: he's, he's getting, I think, is it the Giants? Giants need a center, don't they? I won't yeah. be surprised to see the Giants or somebody go for him. Um, but no, Iowa's got, I always got a good Ryland, Oh, Riley Moss is in there. He's returning. Riley Moss is in sat... there. Safety. Oh, is
0: he? He's it... returning to college. Yeah. He's announced that he will, uh, he's oh, going back to miss 2022. He would have been really good. Cla- I'd say I really like him because he missed half the year because of injury. He's yeah. going to be one to watch next year for sure.
1: Yeah, sure. And I mean, Jackson State, they're going to be one to watch in years coming, especially now they flipped Moss's um, face, the number one prospect in the entire country. I think they're going to start producing some good players for SCS level, but I don't think there's anyone coming out of there, particularly this year. can't remember from our HCBU bowl stuff anyhow. Um, 22nd of March, um, Albany, Army, Iowa State, Nebraska, Ohio, not Ohio State, just Ohio, the not-so-good ones, Texas A&M and Virginia Tech. A lot of teams to pick from here. And again, some, some interesting prospects, especially on that Nebraska D.
0: Yeah, Nebraska. They're a they're a good side. Like say they they've got a lot of prospects. Like say Samara Torres, so you've got the receiver already. You've got someone to watch there. You've got the defensive backs. Uh, Texas A and M. We had Leon Leon O'Neill, didn't we? Had on our senior ball side. So yeah. be interesting to see if the Lions want to get a second look at him again as a strong safety. So they've got they'll have probably a lot of defenders, I imagine. There'll be a lot of defensive well, players to watch
1: and Texas a and Well, we've got to look at Cam Taylor-Britt, their safety. I suppose if we're looking at going safety later on, he's a prospect to watch out for. He was on our team as well, I believe, wasn't he?
0: They both he were, yeah.
1: Yeah, they both were on this. you got those. I mean, Army, I don't think there's anyone coming out there. Iowa State, i say Brees Hall is coming from there. Um, but...
0: Charlie Chalikola.
1: Oh, yeah, Charlie Cola, the tight end. So Iowa State do have a few to watch out for there as well. Virginia Tech, I'm not sure what's coming out of Virginia Tech this year. Not Nothing big to my mind that I will be looking for at the moment.
0: Not a position to need I don't think. I can't see us going there.
1: Oh, and gone. No, I lie. The guard. Um, what's his name? Lessitus Smith, is it? Yeah. Leicester Smith's a guard there. Actually, if you're looking for a guard later on in the draft, he's one to watch out for. So maybe maybe some uh, possible late rounders to look for that day. Um, 23rd of March on the Wednesday, you've got Bryant, you've got UConn, obviously Travis Jones is going to be on show there for them. Georgia State, James Madison, you'll have had a good look at them in the FCS playoffs. I don't know how many of their guys are coming in the draft this year. You've got Ohio State, the big ones. You've got here am gone. We've not got Pittsburgh on there, do we? Do we have Pittsburgh? Or are they the 24th? Possibly Pittsburgh, Utah State and Virginia. Uh, James Madison, are they producing any prospects this year for the draft? Uh,
0: no, they're star wide receiver actually into the transfer portal. I don't you think they're sending it? that many to the draft. Not many of notable
1: no, no. Um. Outside of that, though, so you, uh, hang on, what have we got here? So, UConn, so Travis Jones, obviously, he's had a really good senior bowl week. He's going to get a chance to impress again there, although I don't think there's a lot more coming out of UConn. Is there anyone you're really looking at from Ohio State this year? I know, obviously, Rooker, the tight end, is one of the big guys from out of there. So, but I mean, I know you're not as high on him at tight end. I'm not really that high on him either. Is there anyone else really from Ohio State who y- you would be interested in seeing? Uh,
0: no, because we've seen Wilson and Olabe. We know what we're getting. Yeah. Uh, is it Sebit, 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 Banks? The corner depth? I oh, seven
1: backs Banks, the defensive the
0: end. Is he? I know he's a defender, yeah. So there's people there. Everyone will be there. It doesn't matter who. You go to Ohio State either way. So there'll be guys out there to watch. I don't think we're in the ballpark range for many of them. And Ruckert, you just haven't seen enough work for me. Like I say, he has to really light up the charts to even get a sniff in this tight end class. See,
1: yeah, I agree there. I mean, Dan was talking about defensive line earlier. I think they've got the, the six foot three guys. Is it Haskell Garrett, he's the defensive line. And I know yeah. he's getting first round love at the minute. So if you're end of first round guy, Haskell Garrett is a name that you might want to keep an eye on. If you do think they're going to go defensive line, I'm not sure they will. But, again, stranger things have happened. Uh, Petit Frere he's the guard. I think he's there as well. And they've got Taya Mumford as well. I think, I, I think he's like a second-round guy, possibly. But, again, I'm not too keen on him compared to others. But, you know, Ohio State always produced some good guys. So, um, you'll have to see there with them. Now, I saw the thing today. They have scheduled... Is it, it's the 24th of March, isn't it, when all the quarterbacks have been scheduled? So I think the list has changed here. So I've got Harvard, North Dakota State, North Texas, Oklahoma State, Utah, and Yale as on here so far. Obviously, North Dakota State, it's all the uh, Christian Watson show. He's just hes climbing up the draft board at such a rate of knots here at the minute. Is there what you want to see on Pro Day from him specifically? Uh no.
0: I know he can do everything. He tracks the ball deep better than most guys and he's got a huge frame and he's fast as well. There isn't really much he needs to do with anything. Just he just needs to pull up a good workout and then put up some solid numbers. If he gets a good 40 time, he actually if he gets a good 40 time, he could be like a second round kind of guy. He could shoot up the boards if he's able to show that that straight line, top-end speed.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think he just needs to have a solid day around the ball, but I think he's done all his talking now pretty much, hasn't he? So, you know, it's going to be it's gonna be great to see him, and hopefully the Lions are down there keeping a very close eye on him. There's a few other big teams in there, Oklahoma State, Utah. Utah, it's the Devin Lloyd show, I guess, there. If he really has his day and he excels everything like he should, He's probably going to push himself into a top ten pick, probably Alan Nicka Parsons this year. Do you reckon?
0: Uh, yeah, like I say he's got the uh, good coverage. He's got it can be used as an elite pass rusher when needs be. Yeah, I think uh, Oklahoma State, like I say because they've got uh, they've got Malcolm Rodriguez, key linebacker, <sighs> could be someone we could consider. And then you've got the two safeties,
1: Matthew Peel.
0: And Trey Sterling. I don't know if either of them are declared though. I've not actually seen what their
1: intentions are yet. I'm pretty sure Harvey Peel's going to the draft. Um Sterling's been injured all year, hasn't he? So yeah, I'm, so not, I'm, sure, like, he I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he day. will declare. I would expect to see Harvey Peel there though. Again, yeah, he's like he's, a, he's an interesting safety prospect. He was in one of the all he was in that collegiate all-star game, I think we covered a couple of weeks back. I think he returned Returned one for a pick six. He had a really good day there. But the main talking point about March 24th, and now this has obviously not been formally announced. Sort of, well, it has. It's it's the quarterback day. Now, old Miss have just declared their pro day for the 24th of March. Obviously, the big guy on show, Matt Corral, the quarterback. However, they've scheduled it on the same day that Liberty play with Malik Willis, and they've also scheduled it on the same day that Cincinnati have their pro day. It's Desmond. So Desmond Ridder, Malik Willis, and Matt Corral all on the same day. Now, this I know I'll Miss were the last to declare for this, so this feels like a bit of a, a dick move on their part. They're going to make people choose. They're going to force them to go and choose which quarterback they want to go and see, and obviously teams are going to have to choose very carefully which personnel they send where
0: but You can just you can send someone to everyone. It's who you yeah. send where, isn't it? You can yeah. send as many representatives as you want, so you can go watch all three of them. But really, you send your offense, you send your GM or your head coach—the one you're most interested in. At you, yeah. it feels it's it's tactical from all Miss because the other two we saw were announced early today. They've just come out and done it now as almost a tactical move because Matt Corral not being a senior, has really missed out with the senior bowl. Like I say, yeah. everyone's got this talk about him because of his injury, playing in the bowl game and not having the eligibility to the senior ball. He could do with a good show. Like I say, I don't know how healthy he is. I know the ankles should be okay now, but he could do with a good workout just to refresh people's memory that he is possibly a quarterback one. Because right now, I don't think anyone is convinced he
1: is. No, no, I mean, yeah, this is going to be very conflicting for some of these guys. And like you say, these, some of these quarterbacks need to have good days. And the fact now that they may be overshadowed by other guys in there is a shame, but I guess this is where the money is paid out for. And it can it can give you a very clear indication, like you say, where the GM goes, the interest goes usually with it.
0: I'd rather go to Cincinnati because they've also got Alec Pierce, Kobe Bryant and Brian Cook, receiver, yeah. cornerback, safety. So yeah, you, you want to pick a the, lot more going there,
1: yeah. You want to pick the deepest pro day class to get the most guys under the eyes of your best scouts, I guess, don't you? So yeah. Get your
0: own forms. Like the Bearcats Pro Day will be stacked.
1: Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see who they send, and hopefully we can find out how they do it. Might be able to shine a light on it there. Um moving on, we're near the end of this now. Twenty fifth of March on the Friday you got Boston College, you've got BYU, Hampton, Richmond, Tarleton State, and then TCU, obviously Boston College. You've got the uh, offensive lineman there. You've got Alec Lindstrom at centre. You've got Zion Johnson, the guard. Um, you've got is it Isaiah Mobley, who's the linebacker there. You've got a few others. A lot of these have received combine invites. There's, there's a lot... There's a lot to like on this day, especially offensive line wise. Um, there's there's a lot to like from Boston College.
0: Yeah, they're a good strong, good strong outfit. Like say it's a, it's the best part of a unit. They they produce offensive NFL linemen every year because they run a very pro offense in that sense. Yeah, DYU should be interesting because, like I said, you've got a uh, Tyler Allegier. Yeah, I I don't know who else couldn't name many others at the BYU Pro Day that are actually draft eligible.
1: I think there's a lot of project guys working there. But, I mean, obviously, like you say, Elysier is the the main course, especially if teams want in a good, solid bell cow linebacker. That's what he does. He gains the hard yards and he gains a lot of them. So, you know, that will be fun to see there. I mean, TCU... Are they sending anyone out there this year I can't think I mean you've watched I think a bit more TCU than me this year but yeah. um, I know yeah, yeah obviously was, last year, year obviously last year they had mo rig they had was it Washington they had a lot of they had a lot of you know, really good guys going last year but it might be a quiet year for them but, but don't be surprised to see Lion Scouts at Boston College introducing there um, moving on then March 28th you've got Air Force and ball State don't think anyone have either is going for those. don't think Air Force have got anybody, have they? Uh,
0: had a great year, but I don't know if many yeah. draft
1: eligible. I don't think there's any draft eligible there. So, 29th of March on the Tuesday, you've got Campbell, Chattanooga, Louisville, North Carolina State and West Virginia. Obviously, the main attraction of any of those, ekemikwonu the tackle from North Carolina State. Some say a consensus number one pick, not many but some do, but He's going to be a very high-level pick.
0: Yeah, I've seen mocks where he goes in top 10, top 15. Like I say, he's around that uh, Charles Cross kind of top three, four offensive tackle. So expect him to go at least, I'd say, the first half of the first round potentially.
1: I mean, we'll just put this one to bed here, but there's, there's no way the Lions pick a tackle at two, is there? be it Equonu and Neil, I mean, the amount they love the trenches. Is there any feasible way you see us go in with one of those?
0: Well, I sincerely hope not.
1: <coughs> no, I, I don't either, but I guess it's a possibility. I guess they will have people there watching him, especially if we trade back or something. It's For me, it's not the thing I want, but you know the emphasis they put on the trenches. I can't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that they might shock us all and do that.
0: I don't think it will, because I'm pretty no. sure that asn't Brad Holmes mentioned before, that he wants to work like inside out. So now we've worked on the trenches, we'll now work on skill positions. Yeah. That's what was said last yeah. year. So I'm hoping we leave that alone this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then outside of that, Louisville, West Virginia, There's nothing really that stands no one really stands out for me there. Don't know if you disagree, but for me. No, nothing really standoutish. ish
0: No, two good teams, but they kept the car of it. Not too many draft eligible. like us say Malik Cunningham's returning to Louisville next year.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think he'd not be in our... I don't know, he might be in our thoughts, but yeah, like you say, he's going back. So, again, not much there. Um, 30th of March, this is the last big day so far. So you got Baylor. Boise State, Colorado State, Elon, Marshall, Maryland, North Carolina, ANT, Wake Forest. Now, obviously, Wake Forest have been your baby this year in terms of team to watch. Is there anyone that's going to the pro day that we should be looking out for with them?
0: You've only got Jaquari Robertson, because I'm pretty sure A.T. Perry is returning. So we've got one of the receivers to watch, who was one of his best targets, Sam Hartman. So other than that, Wake Forest. Uh, well, we don't need a kicker, so a, probably no point. What of watching about you, Is Cuba yeah, going back? He's not going back, he... but I don't think uh, you'll probably have seen see him on practice. Like say he's he's pretty good. The tape speaks for itself, really.
1: Yeah. Like
0: say I can't imagine he'll leave much of a workout.
1: Well, you know, according to Ash, he's going to be undrafted and no one will spend a pick on him. I mean, that's just disgraceful. Oh, there's a few
0: kickers that are going to get picked this year.
1: Yeah, I reckon so. The LSU guy's going to get picked. Even Burkich from Oklahoma could get picked, I reckon.
0: Yeah, I'd say, like, could see two or three that all get a 6% round spent on him, which should could get- probably be a, could be a record.
1: Yeah, I think it makes sense. If you're going to draft the core of the special team as rather than a literal outside project that you might have cut before the start of the season, spend it on special teams. Especially if you land early on, go for it. Not that we need to really spend on special teams, but... He's
0: worked for Daniel Carson and Evan McPherson. They were both drafted. Mm-hmm. Both done really yeah, well.
1: Exactly. Uh, outside of that, North Carolina a and you've got Jermaine Martin, the running back there. Maybe a late round prospect going off. Colorado State, Trey McBride. I will hope there's someone there to see him because I really want them to put interest in there. Baylor, obviously you're going to Baylor for the backfield. Oh, and maybe the running back as well. You've got Safe Petra is. on show. You've got Woods on show. You've got you've got Abram on show for running back. You know, there's a lot to, you know, this Baylor team were really good this year and they're sending some good prospects, are we? So I think they could surprise a lot of people at the next level from where you're going to be able to get them from in the draft. You could get some good steals from this Baylor team.
0: Oh, Baylor! Baylor are always good. Like Baylor, it, it, it Baylor should be a playoff team. Like, do you know they've got the, the talent, they've got the coaching, they've got the facilities? They're the best probably in the conference, so they really should be making it all click. But they just don't. They're sending great talent to the, uh, the NFL. I say I expect all of their players to get drafted. Oh I'd yeah, say JT Woods, I think, could be better value than Petra because he might go maybe a round later. But I expect I would love either safety. I'd rather take either of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Baylor gonna have some nice prospects there. Colorado State gonna have some nice prospects. I can't speak for Boise State though. I'm not quite sure that they had a rough year. And just Khalil Shakir, I think. Oh, he's of course, only,
0: he's of the course. Only real the uh, the hybrid does a bit of everything.
1: Well, that's it. It's his return skills you're looking for with him as well, aren't you? So maybe you expect to see the lines there as well, taking a look at him. A lot of teams will do that. And then you've got 31st of March on the Thursday, you've got Moorhead State, Western Kentucky. Obviously, Western Kentucky, you've got Bailey Zappa, you've got Jared Stearns, you've got D'Angelo Malone. You know, there's there's a lot. To, There's a lot of good potential late round steals here from Western Kentucky. This could be the dark horse of them all if you go find there and find some of these guys and get good value for them.
0: Oh yeah, there's a lot of guys there. I've have no idea what rounds they'll go in, what idea the projections going. It'll go all the way. It'll go down to the combine and the workouts. It could be sixth, seventh rounders. Could be fourth rounders,
1: third rounders. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that's with all, although. I think Stearns will get a good grade, though. I, th- I think Stearns does well in the draft. I think he gets drafted higher than the rest of them.
0: Probably, yeah, because he's had such a elite year. He it- was it was easily the best receiver in the entire nation.
1: Yeah, definitely. I- I'd agree there. So, yeah, 31st of March, Western Kentucky, one to keep an eye on. And then rounding out the last of the big days, 1st of April, the Friday, you've got UCF, the University of Central Florida. You've got Houston you've got kentucky and you've got rice and obviously you're going to kentucky for your trench players there you've got a few o linemen you've got josh pascal i think is the josh pascal's the kentucky yeah. edge, isn't he i keep mixing him up with the florida guy but you know if you're looking for if you're looking for the trenches that's probably the, one of the good places to go this year
0: yeah offensive linemen in kentucky they're known for being aggressive, they're known for being nasty and having a chip on the shoulders, and also very versatile. I'd say Darren Kennard play a multitude of positions, and I was under line, very experienced. So Kentucky are always a, a strong outfit in sending players to the draft.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously Houston, you've got the receiving duo there. If you're gonna go and look at them, don't you? Obviously, that offense had a big gear. So wide receiver prospects, the name's Escape me. We had them both on our senior ball team as well, didn't we?
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, oh god, the, I should know. These. Nathaniel.
0: Nathaniel Dell. Yeah. There? No.
1: And it. I forgot the names.
0: The Cubans.
1: Yeah. No. Hang on. We'll just do it. Yeah. Anyhow, Houston wide receivers go there for them. That'll be the Broday day you're looking for there. Rice, I don't think anyone's coming out of. No UCF either. They had a disappointing year. And then finishing it off, you've got the Louisiana team. So Louisiana Lafayette on the 4th of April, then Louisiana State on the 6th of April. Now, obviously, there's a few more to come, but you know they're the ones that have been announced so far. Those are some names to look out for. But obviously, when Pro Day season comes around, we'll keep a very close eye week by week on everything that's going off and put a light on the guys who we think they might be watching there in the draft so that is everything for the pro day ball scene and that concludes what has been a very long show for us but you've stuck with us and we really do appreciate that in fact i've got one last question in the chat before we go so depth fan man has been in there again thank you depth fan man for joining us we really appreciate it. it goes it recently announced that the nfl will play a regular season game in munich what do you think the ideal german matchup would be. now. I'm assuming it means which two NFL sides would like suit going to Germany and playing there. Obviously, they're really tough, really physical. You know, you really want some guys, and they're going to go and hit hard. I don't know who would your ideal matchup in Germany be. It's a very interesting one to think of, actually. I mean, I hate to say it, but maybe I'd put the Patriots there. I feel like yeah. they'd they, they'd sort okay. of...
0: They've got a German connection as well because they have Jakob Jonsson from the Stuttgart Scorpions. He came through the international pathway, so he Very was true. one of their advocates and mascots. He's one of the only reasons as well that they were picked to get the German market because he's a big advert. I know he's just taken out as a, the Stuttgart surge in the uh, bringing back the European Football League. He's now just taken over as Pike part owner, so... They're working that brand in America.
1: Uh, who would I? Like you know to... what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this now. I'm gonna say I'd put a good Steelers team and the Patriots. I think the Steelers, Smash Mouth football, very aggressive. I think that would sort of suit the tone very well. So a good Steelers team versus a good Patriots team, the way they traditionally play, I think that would be one well for pound. me. But I would say I to see you a ground that, and pound, if you ever... there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say, though, to that fan Man, if you get a chance to go to Munich and watch a game there, absolutely do it. I know it's on my bucket list. I really want to go. Munich is a wonderful city. You would really enjoy it there, and it is a great place to watch football, I would imagine. And I intend to go to a German game at the nearest possible opportunity. Are there any other teams you'd throw in there? I'm Steelers-Patriots. Where would, Who would you send? Uh...
0: I tend to like the Broncos as well. That, they're they're mm-hmm. a physical side, like say strong ground game. I can also agree, I've, I've been to Frankfurt. They're the second stadium that's going to host the city. I've been to see American football there, and they've got the history of having the Galaxy as well. So Germans love American football. It's one of their national sports because they've got the GFL Pro League as well. So anyone that gets a chance there, I think they're going to have a game at least every year now. So certainly going to be a huge market. And there's a lot of guys there that will make their way to the NFL in years to come.
1: I would hope so that there's one a year, because as I said, I really want to go to one. If any American Lions fans can get over there, we can come and have a little Lions gathering in Munich. It would be absolutely awesome. Not to mention you get the Steins there, which are two pints big. So, you know, huge beers, really good food. <laughs> great city to boot. So yeah, enjoy that. Hopefully there for that fan man, that's a couple of matchups there for you. Um, that's it today. We've been going a while now, so we'll save any more questions than that for next week. Keep plenty to keep us going. So I say, thank you to everyone who has joined us on YouTube and Twitch. We really, really appreciate you coming in, spending your time with us, our little podcast here in uh, the UK. And hopefully it makes the, uh, college ball scene a little easier to dissect down there so in terms of next episodes well next week you're gonna have a double bill of the roar of the lines uk podcast so on monday it is valentine's day and all the guys on the podcast except myself i believe are partnered up at this moment in time and will be off doing lovey dovey things with their other halves maybe or maybe not but we're going to take the day off there for that so we are moving the main podcast to the Wednesday. Obviously, we do the college podcast on the Wednesday as well, so we're going to do the college podcast first, and then we'll have a little break, and then we'll transfer onto our main podcast for the night, so you get a double dose of Brits, which is an absolutely wonderful thing. In terms of the college pod, I think we are going to aim to have our awards night there, Ryan. Is that where we're looking for?
0: We are, yeah. We've got about 25 responses so far, so please go find the tweet. We're going to get it retweeted tonight and push it again for the week, but we're going to – I've had a look and nearly every vote, nearly every person or player has been voted for on every question. There's very wide margins and there's very much lots of colour on the pie chart. so it's actually really good to see that lots of different opinions. So, yep, we're going to get them uh, results handed
1: out. Yep, definitely. So join us for awards night then. and If you're lucky, I may don my uh, dressing gown tinsel combo again with the cool shades. You never know. Get voting on the awards and we'll see. We'll, as Ryan says, we'll put up the links for them. You can get in there, vote for your favourite college. Parts of the season and then afterwards on our main podcast, what else are we going to be doing? We are going to be previewing the Super Bowl, the Cincinnati Bengals, versus the LA Rams, Matthew Stafford's time to shine. Is it time when he can cement himself into the Hall of Fame chat with a Super Bowl win? Or is the young upstart Jordan Burrow, good Joe Burrow, Jordan Burrow, where the hell did I get that from? Joe Burrow, going to make history and be, either way, this is going to be the first time a quarterback drafted number one has won a Super Bowl since Eli Manning. That is a long time and not a guarantee that you get success with a quarterback at the boy here. He's 2004, I think. And technically it wasn't even first pick. because he got traded for the fourth or fifth pick or whatever it was with Philip Rivers. So you can technically go back further till the first overall pick won a Super Bowl. But yeah, an interesting fact about it. So yeah, join us then for the college awards night, the Super Bowl preview on the main pod um i just had something there ken Stouders just said frankfurt has a large us air force base located there yes it does there are a lot of american air force personnel over there full stop and he also talks about ramstein yes ramstein are cool as hell gotta enjoy me a bit of ramstein there but yeah thank you to everyone who's joined us just remains for me to go through our socials so unless is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we finish this session off ryan I know we've been through a lot, but there's always something.
0: Nope. Uh, I'm just going to the toilet. are back in one moment. I'll say goodbye. Just go through the socials about me. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'll go I've through the socials. been going that long. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, as is on our socials, you can find us here, there and everywhere. YouTube, you can find us at Raw of the Lions UK. Obviously, you might be here already, but not by Twitch. Come up and subscribe to us there. And our Twitch, you can find us at ROTL underscore UK. Again, thanks to everyone who follows us on there we recently gained affiliate status which allows us to do a few more bits and bobs on there we really appreciate you taking the time to follow us on that on our facebook you can find us on our page royal the lions uk or you can find our facebook group detroit lions fans uk one pride worldwide we literally have fans from all over the continent and the world on that page and there's a lot of good Lions chatter on there on our twitter you can find us at ROTL underscore UK. Again, that fan base is ever-expanding ever, extending, ever expanding, and we thank you for the, so much interaction we get on there. It is like a full-time job looking after that page now, but I love it and I wouldn't change it for anything. And then on our Instagram, you'll find us ROTL underscore dot UK on there. And then the website, you may notice a few more things on there, www.roarofthelinesuk.com. As was announced the other day, we have a new writer, Ashley Soden. You will have mentioned his... Heard his name mentioned on here a few times. He has been a big fan of ours since beginning, and he is now doing some writing for us, which is going to be ever so exciting. And we should have some more writers coming in the near future as well. So go on there, check our Lions articles. Matt's just put up a really good one about Brad Holmes and his first year there. Go give it a check out. It is really some good reading, and I'm hopefully going to put up one about Dan Campbell soon. But thanks to Ryan. And everyone who has joined us in the chat tonight, we really do appreciate it. We are Roar of the can UK. And until next time, we say one pride.
0: One pride.